Hello everyone, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome to the first, the inaugural, the only one of its kind episode of the Infinicast. I am your host, Brandon Clark, and today I'm joined by my best friend, Michael Danforth, my cohort, Mr. Danny Devoid himself. Go fo- go follow him and subscribe to him on YouTube. Cohort? Cohort. Hort. Gotcha. Hort. I thought we were, I thought it was your, uh, was your cohort, my bad. No. I missed the RT. I mean, you know? I was flattered. You got to make money how you make money, right? <laughs> we sex positive here. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, only fans in this time of need is a viable option. Oh, my God. They make so much money. <laughs> so today, um, I thought for the inaugural episode, we, we, I love all of our conversations. Right. There's nobody else that I wanted to have this first episode with. And the other thing I like is how weird and just... <laughs> fucking crazy our taste in movie and games are sometimes (laughs) it's out there and i'm glad you're making this your first episode because i guess like the the first episode of a podcast you should get to know your hosts and this is a great way to find out our tastes in things that's Um, a great point i literally was just like oh hey we'll do this for horror it's uh november 7th as we're recording this (laughs) hey for some people halloween's never over (laughs) right but then i thought well you know we're kind of past halloween Maybe we right. can save that for next Halloween or whenever we feel like it. But um, no, today is so. Our topic today is the most underappreciated movies and games. Exactly, you could call it hidden gems, underappreciated, underrated, whatever you want to call it. These are just things we want to shed some more light on. Right, and it's not necessarily that these games aren't talked about at all. Right, or that they don't have a cult following, but it kind of goes with this idea of. Well, you know, plenty of people talk about it. Okay, well, if plenty of people talk about it, where is yeah. it in, like, the spot? Not doesn't have to be in the spotlight. It, it's basically how we measure the quality versus how much it's mentioned. Yes. Um, and it's very subjective. There's it probably is. some. I probably have some trash on this list. <laughs> but you know what? That's, that's what's exciting to me. Right. Is because one of the movies on my list specifically is one that uh, Michael here introduced me to. And I am kinky, no sheathing, <laughs> and I am very excited to talk about it because right. when you showed it to me and we watched it, I was like, holy fuck, this is awesome. So, without mm. further ado, uh, you know, only two and a half minutes into the podcast, that's impressive. Not too shabby, we've done worse. <laughs> Let's go ahead and start, um, we're going to do, so we want to do games first. Let's do games first. So we're going to go one by one, each discussing our what our pick is and why it's our pick five each for a total of 10 games 10 movies yes so you've got 20 things that you can potentially play or watch if you haven't seen or played them our personal personal recommendations and why we recommend it absolutely Uh, if we can't sell you on it don't bother but if 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 it tickles your fancy go for it hunt these down these might be kind of tricky to find because we're talking about more obscure stuff yeah um but they're and out there. In, in some cases, your best bet might honestly just be, like, for the games especially, emulation or... No shame in emulating. Uh, yar, har, fiddle me D. Fiddle your what? Oh, boy. <laughs> Excuse well, me. Literal, literal D. Capital <laughs> D. Fiddle your D. <laughs> um, all right. So, since you are the guest on this episode, <laughs> go ahead and start with your number one. Number one. On my five hidden gems slash obscure games slash games that need more attention, number one is Elemental... Gearbolt for the PS1. Is that the um is that the light gun game? This is a light gun game that is very different for 
a light gun game. Honestly, it's like whenever you think of light gun games from the fifth generation of gaming, you right. think of like quick little fun arcade style games like Virtual Crisis. Yeah, thank you, Time Crisis. This takes place in a fantasy universe. Has anime cutscenes. Yeah, boy. Um, it's just very different. Everything's all cool and fantasy-like. There's just this really neat um, anime aesthetic. On this, you said PS One, right? Yeah, PlayStation One. So this is like, excuse me, fan. I don't need your bullshit. <laughs> not, Sorry. not you guys. Not, not you. Not, not those fans. No, the, my, the, 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 the ceiling, the ceiling fan. I promise it's not you. I don't fuck that shit. <laughs> um, but you say like. <laughs> ps1 so that's like 90s early 2000s anime which is like that super big eyed yeah yeah sharp jaws to chin i have a i have a soft spot for that style and this oh, game is loaded yeah. with it you'll oh, love that man. if that's your aesthetic wait a second yo i remember this is the one with that super ridiculous assassin's case limited edition right oh my god so first of all let before we get into that yes um this was published by working designs now if you don't know Working Designs is a company that went all out in bringing games from Japan to America. Oh, okay. They, Which in, in PS1 era is... Especially. Um, and the, the, the people they worked for, like Sega and Sony, were like, are, are you sure you want to bring this obscure game from Japan to America? And they were like, heck yeah. We'll dub it. We'll translate it. We'll put it in a big sparkly collector's edition box. Like, they went Whoa. all out. And they are the most, what do we call them? Anime fans. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it friendly. Yeah. I, I, I love anime myself, but you know, there's a, there's a subculture of people who just fucking love anime. Um, but I don't want to use slander on this show. Yeah. No. They, they, we're talking about the people who, like, the difference between people who watch anime and those who are just like rolling in the deep to say right. the <laughs> I'm going to say otaku. Otaku in Japan is just anime fan. Simple and clean. Over here, an otaku is a bit more of a dirty term, I yeah. guess. But um, anime fan. Let's just say anime fan. Right. Um, They really favored that niche audience. And it's like, you think they wouldn't go all out to bring these games over. But no, they went all out. They translated, dubbed. And like I said, they always put it in a nice package. Right. And Elemental Gearbolt um, was a one-disc game, but it came in one of those big four-disc type cases. And you're like, why? And you open it up, and it has this fat manual, full oh, color. baby. And mm. everything has this foil sparkle to it. Mm, fucking talk dirty to me. God damn. Yeah, right. We don't get that anymore. <laughs> we don't get that anymore. You don't. And I... I if you like this kind of stuff, definitely look for work and designs published games. Unfortunately, they went out of business because their business model was just not viable. Well, yeah, I mean, you're talking about pulling like in anime is already niche in the '90s. Still. Yes, and, and you're then, talking about pulling a, a light gun game. Yeah, it is such. It's a niche game in a niche genre from a niche company. Yeah, I mean, because when when I specifically when I think of light guns. Um, I think of arcades, like yeah, uh, like arcade style, American arcades. F for a heads up, obviously we we both live in the U.S. Right. So our our arcades are different than you know like Japan and anywhere around the world. Yeah, and by different we mean extinct. Yeah, that. <laughs> but like I always thought of like you know we'd go to the mall and mm. you'd have Time Crisis, you'd have uh, House of the Dead, Daytona, Daytona. Uh, oh God, Rotting Star. Hey. 
That's another episode I want to do. Absolutely. Just just make a two-hour Daytona. <laughs> just, it's just Daytona for two hours. That's just all it is. Um, so, like, that's the kind of stuff I think of. It's obviously very Western-oriented. Yes. Very action star-heavy or very horror-heavy. Right. But, like, you think about something like, what's it called? Elemental Gearbolt? Yes. That's in a... Ooh, that's like doubling down on high like, fantasy anime universe um, with very mature berserk like themes and it's okay. got futuristic mechs and it's just like where am I? Okay. This is a light gun game. So I'm coming over to play this, right? Yeah. Oh my god! Like so, you had me, and then you said berserk like themes, and all of a sudden I just yeah, like it's yeah, that, it's that gritty. Uh, that a term that has unfortunately been beaten into the dirt these days. Yeah, it was it, that was kind of a still a thing in the nineties. Now, if, what anime isn't dark and gritty now? Oh my god! But anyway, Elemental Gearbolt highly recommended if you like arcade shooters and you want a fresh aesthetic, a fresh setting. And considering how easy it is to emulate PS One games nowadays, it is. And you can, I think, you can use. You don't really technically need a light gun for this. You can use the stick or the D pad. Um, I'm sure there's a mod for emulating um, the mouse as a light gun. Ooh. So. That's, honestly, that's probably about as close as you'll get. Um, yeah, to get that feel. Um, but, yeah, that's my first recommendation. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We are off to a rip-roaring start because <laughs> I'm as excited to play that as I am to go back and play my number one pick hmm? on underappreciated games, hidden gems, whatever you call it. Let's talk Monster Rancher 2. Yes, please. Oh, my God. So, in the 90s, <laughs> I love this we, game. we had all the monster raising, all the digital monster, yeah. digital pet simulators. Monster we, collecting, V-pets, stuff like that was at Pokemon. its peak. Yeah. Mid to late 90s. Metabots. Well, Metabots was like early aughts. But yeah. Like, but, you know, like this obsession with collecting and training. And raising and... Even then, Sonic had the chows. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it jumped in on the craze as well. And then in the mid to late 90s, a little franchise called Monster Rancher hit. Had an anime in the U.S. That anime, we ne- so we never got the full thing. Aw. Um, and it was dubbed, and it was a 90s anime dub. Was it good? <laughs> it's what you can expect from yeah, the cheesy. Exactly. <laughs> I've gone back and watched it, and it's definitely a 90s anime dub. Gotcha. Um, we'll be back on Foxbox. Oh, God. Or Sorry, Jetix we, or whatever. We just alienated our very young audience. WB Kids. We'll explain or that kids later. WB. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, it had a game that came out, Monster Rancher 1. It was a PlayStation exclusive. Mm-hmm. So, the thing you did was you raised one monster at a time. And by monster, there were all these weird, crazy, imaginative designs. Right. So, when you think of Monster Rancher, if you know what it is, <clears throat> excuse me. That's the first monster. <laughs> um, <laughs> My favorite. Indigestion. Belch. <laughs> indigestion. Um, you think, you probably think of the Suezo, which is a big yellow eye with a mouth and a tail. I used to call him the Suzo. I remember. <laughs> I've been calling him Suzo for years. Um, because Suezo. That, that, the tiger, which is this black wolf with horn, or it's, Ooh, a, it's, a blue, it's a blue and white wolf with horns. And almost like a lion's mane, kind of. Yeah. But like PS1 style, so it looked like just like mats mm-hmm. of hair. And then the dino, which was just a green dinosaur. Right. These are the essentials. Right. The basics. When, when it came down to Monster Rancher, that that's what was on the cover. Mm-hmm. You played it. You trained your monster. 
um, to fight in tournaments, to go on expeditions to uncover new types of monsters mm-hmm. and things like that. And you could uh, upgrade upgrade your ranch in the later games. I think there was more options. I think you could do it in the first one, too. No kidding. But in the first one, so in the first one, all you had was, like, this still shot of a background, kind of almost Final Fantasy-esque. Yeah, pre-rendered. And you would see your monsters kind of walking around and stuff. Kind of 2D plane. And then you had... It worked. It it did. It looked great. And then um, everything else they did, like when you trained them in a stat or something, because they had six stats. I'm doing a whole series on Monster Rangers, so don't worry about the specifics. Get hype. Um, And, but all that stuff was like 2D. Right, right. sprites, and it would show you kind of what they were doing. Hmm. It was... I don't know if I'd call it a, a success. I think it sold it sold well enough, and it's in a time where you didn't need to sell ten million units to to you know make make a profit. Right. That that was that was solid. That wasn't too bad. It, it wasn't a failure. No, not at all. Because oh. I mean, we got another dozen Monster Rancher games yeah. of varying quality. It was definitely riding that um like we said monster collecting V pet. Yeah. Wave. Um, and then Monster Rancher two hits. And everything is better. Everything that was left to be desired in the first one uh, was kind of here. There was more quality of life type stuff, too. Yeah. So not only did we go from everything being 2D mm-hmm. to you had a full ranch that you could see your monster move around. There were seasons. Right. Um, so in the summer, it was bright green. In the fall, it was kind of brown and, and orange. A lot of aesthetic type stuff. You could feel uh, maybe perhaps a larger budget here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, because monster, it's known in Japan as Monster Farm. It's a much bigger franchise That's right. over That's there. Right. So naturally, like even if it didn't sell well over here, it sold well enough over there. Yeah, good enough for them. Uh, we're introduced to new monster types, which includes my favorite, the Durahan. What does is, that look like? It's just a suit of armor. I remember that. A suit of armor with a shield and sword, and it looked like a Roman centurion helmet. <laughs> like Marvin the Martian. Yes, Doesn't he exactly. wear one of those? Yep, he sure does. <laughs> And um, uh, the Joker as well was one of my favorites. It's the big like cape. Yeah. And it had the, the clown mask. Yeah. That was cool. These are really, it's weird. It wasn't very popular, but yet these designs are memorable. You don't forget some of the, right. the visual elements from this game. I know this is probably going to piss people off, but there's a lot of Digimon and Pokemon that I just forget about. <laughs> but like with Monster Rancher, there aren't nearly as many individual designs because a lot of what you do is crossbreeding as well so right if I had a, there different was, colors and stuff yeah so there was another monster called a beaklon which is a giant beetle basically mm. big ass hercules beetle interesting so what they would do what you could do is i've let's say i trained up a durahan right and then i trained up a beaklon you can freeze them together and then, so you could you could freeze them in individual slots. Oh, I see. I see. Maybe like you want to. Maybe it's getting close to the end of its life, and you want to save it for a big tournament. Ooh, okay. But you can combine them, and if you put the Durahan first in the combination, and then put the Beaklon in, the chances of you getting a Durahan of a main breed Durahan and a subbreed Beaklon. Gotcha. So it's a Durahan with like Beaklon features. It's probably different colors, different. Like, it's got a horn on its yeah. helmet, stuff like that. There's a lot of crossbreeding. So instead of having a bunch of different main breeds, you probably had, like, 100 or 110, maybe. Right. But you had a shitload of subbreeds. I like that, because that, 
that's what I think Digimon and Monster Rancher excel at that Pokemon doesn't. Yes. Pokemon has a very linear linear um, evolution system. If yes. It hits this level, it evolves into this. There's no like forks in the road. I mean, there there is the occasional hold item, right? Like with Slowbro and Slow King. Yes. But I feel like they got that from Monster Rancher and Digimon. Exactly. And then you look like because that's my favorite thing about later Pokemon games is mm-hmm. like Alolan Pokemon. Yeah. It's a different. It's a it's a new kind of subbreed of it. Yeah, and it brings new life to otherwise very linear in evolution types. Right. And that's and then. Uh, so they they gave you a lot of variety with it, it's almost like customization of your monsters. I love that. And spe- and also it affected stats. That's right. You could actually there was like actual differences that you could see in battle and in tournaments. Yeah. There were benefits to taking that alternate route with your monster. Yeah. So maybe like if I had like a Dura like a purebred Durahan, mm-hmm. it's always going to be good for power, skill and defense, which means it hits hard. It doesn't take very hard hits, and its attacks are almost always going to hit. The higher the skill, the better the chance of the attack hitting. So, let's say I want to build one that's maybe more intelligence-focused. Right. Because there's power and intelligence attacks. So what I do now is I breed it with a dragon, which has heavy intelligence. Gotcha. This new Durahan I have that's half Durahan, half dragon now has more focus and intelligence and when it trains it gets better boosts in that Ooh, stat okay it's it's like one big science experiment where you're mixing and matching and it experimenting with these different monsters and and the better your monster is the higher up you can get in the tournaments from e to s which means you can unlock more monsters there's so much excuse me phone fuck you <laughs> there is so much to monster rancher and right. i'm stopping it too because I hate to sound like a hipster here. I feel it like Monster Rancher peaked with two. There, there, like three is good. Four is great, but it did all it could do with two. In two, yeah. Everything every... else was just padding or didn't add much to the game. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's not appreciated enough. I feel like people don't remember Monster Rancher for whatever reason. But when you look back at everything that game had to mm-hmm. offer, it's no it wonder. Was fun. I had thousands of hours into that game just like i said the mixing and matching that and you can tell me how cool the sense of accomplishment was when you figured out the ultimate uh monster merger yeah exactly So satisfying um because it lets me build up like because if i find that ultimate monster and i've built it up exactly the way i want mm -hmm. it it does everything i want i freeze it so when a big tournament comes around i can freeze the one i'm training pull that out throw it in the tournament and then put it back that's incredible. Like a little monster bank. <laughs> it's exactly right. Now, th- there is one thing. Um, you're, you're probably going to get to this, but um, do you want to tell the the big, I don't want to say gimmick, but do you want to let our audience know, especially the younger ones, how you get said monster? Because they're probably thinking in their head, oh, you go out in adventure sure. and catch them like Pokemon or Not hatch at all. eggs. <laughs> how do you get them, my boy? So uh, in Monster Hunter 2 specifically, there's two ways to do it. I think, actually, you could do it in other games as well, but it's been so long. Right, right. Um, so in Monster Rancher 2, you can either buy them from the shop. Okay. So there's a shop where you can get, it's usually a Suezo, a Zoom, which is what the Dino changed into. Ooh. It's much more, like, angular and less round. Gotcha. 
or a mochi, which is the new mascot monster introduced in Monster Hunter 2. Oh, it's cute. The I remember big, that thing. Pinky thing. Penguiny type thing. Yeah. It's Armadillo. Liter- they literally took oh. like Sakura mochi and made it into a monster. Mmm. <laughs> Yo, me. Or you could buy, there was a seasonal one, which was also very cool. Interesting. So, like, anytime the, the season changed and the game would let you know, you could go to the shop and find out the seasonal monster's been changed. Gotcha. Or, and this is my favorite part. Oh, boy. You could take CDs, PlayStation 1 games, and even DVDs later on. You put the disc, so what it does is it says, all right, take out the Monster Rancher 2 disc. <laughs> it's probably... What the fuck? What are you talking about? You t- you open up the disc tray. <laughs> you take the disc out. Put the CD or DVD you have in. You put that in. It reads the data. It does. It spins the da- the disc. You can hear it spinning. <laughs> then it says, all right, you're good. Take out the CD or DVD and put Monster Rancher 2 back in. And the and if you could unlock the monster, because there were some times where certain CDs mm-hmm. would have, like a Durahan, for instance, you right. had to meet specific you had to go on an expedition find this sheathed blade mm-hmm. wait a couple weeks get invited to a tournament where you fight against a durahan right and that's a fucking hard fight now now these monsters aren't randomly generated it actually reads the lines of code or something in and the it disc. generates a specific monster so like if i get a swayzo from a lincoln park cd i will always get that swayzo yeah exactly i could give it i could give it to a hundred people and from that specific cd everyone would get a swayzo interesting um which is what made it really interesting for like second third fourth printings of albums because it would be true it would different. be different you that's have different editions because there's was... one monster in the game called a moo it hmm. is it was the bad guy from the cartoon from the anime i'm picturing a cow close it's it is black white <laughs> and purple but it's a dragon and it is a half dragon half unknown subbreed it is so Ooh. rare. There is one specific printing of one specific CD that makes it. What in the world could that be? I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, that's Monster Rancher 2. That sounds like fun. You just made me want to play this again. Please. I, if you emulate it, I don't know how everything works. This is one of those tricky games where it's like, most of these games we can be like, emulate it, but this one... Oof. Yeah. How it, do you emulate Monster Ranger? I wonder if like you can use like a like one of those boot programs, Maybe. like where it puts a, it puts a CD there. Right. Right. But I don't know. Kind of. This is one of the few that I actually recommend getting your hands on a get get a cheap PlayStation. See if you can hunt down Monster Ranger. Yeah. Because that's part of the fun. Yeah. Uh, the best thing is my parents and I, my whole family. So both my parents and my sister and I uh-huh. would sit down. We had yellow notepads. Oh. And we would wow. literally write down the CD. Write down the printing, and then write down what monster and subbreed, like the main and subbreed, were for it. That is cool. We had notepads full of the stuff. It's it's long <laughs> since gone now, unfortunately. You are the most capable one to making this upcoming video about the Monster Rancher series. I am, and we're going through all of them, baby. We are. Let's go. It is Monster Palooza. <laughs> now I want to do one more comment on Monster Rancher as a, as a series. I know you're recommending two. Yes, but I had four. Four so good. At one point. Four was kind of the comeback game. Uh, absolutely. After three. Before Evo and after three. Mm. Um, four was decent. And I remember there were some neat little Easter eggs from the developer that would um, summon certain monsters from certain CDs where it would make sense. Like getting a white wolf from Princess Mononoke. 
Yeah. How cool is that? Or if you put it in an Xbox game, it always gave you a dino. A green dino every time. Doesn't matter what the Xbox game was, but it would read that it was an Xbox disc. In a PS2? Mm-hmm. That's nuts. See, that's the developers having fun. And I love that. Yeah, agreed. Good that, choice. That was, that was in Monster Rancher 3. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, and that was actually the only way. So what they did is they took the dino from the original game, made it an unknown subbreed for a Zoom, and the only way to get that was through a original Xbox disc. <laughs> that's wild. And that's... <sighs> I love that. I can't talk enough. There's a reason it's number one on my list. Because it is what I feel one of the most underappreciated titles in gaming. I love it. It, it. it just This game paints a picture in my head. You know, I picture the typical Pokemon player who has, like, you know, a web page pulled up with the Pokedex. But when I picture a Monster Rancher hardcore player, I'm picturing a guy in front of his PS2. He's got stacks of CDs and mm-hmm. DVDs. He's got notepads on the wall, like, which does which. And it's just this crazy science experiment. I love it. And that's... And that's and, and, yeah, that can sound unappealing to some people. <laughs> I, I personally think that's part of the fun. Exactly. I, I, I cannot stress enough. If you want to play Monster Rancher, especially Monster Rancher 2, get a PlayStation. Dirt cheap. Get a, a copy of Monster Rancher is probably not too cheap. It's like 40 or 50 bucks. Right. But I... You're in for a good time. I promise. Like, I'm willing to bet whatever soul I have left on it, <laughs> that, it that you will enjoy it. What's your number two pick, Mike? My number two, because I have faulty memory, I will pull that up in just a second. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the puppeteer for PlayStation 3. Let's go! And how... Oh, where do I begin with this? Let's talk about... I guess we'll talk about the PS3 real quick and how it was the underdog of Gen 7. The Xbox really? 360, in my opinion, the Xbox 360 was getting the, the slightly better ports, had more... You know, it was just attracting all the dude bros, and the player base was kind of starting to switch to Xbox. Yeah, Xbox, like, not only did they have that year extra for sales, yeah. Sony really shot themselves in the balls with the... The, the cell processor. The and the high the high price. It just, we got a Blu-ray player, so it's going to be expensive. $600 for that, and this pain in the ass, super good, like, cell processor... Yeah, it was, it was a beast, but... Bitch to work on as a game developer. Yeah, it, developers were intimidated. And on the other hand, you had the cheap, the small, the accessible Wii. And the PS3 is just kind of sandwiched between this this awesome hardcore system and this awesome little casual system. The PS3 is just kind of in the middle. But it, I, I feel like the PS3 didn't hit its true stride until it went slim and went yes. cheaper and people were starting to look at it like wow this is actually a 299 blu-ray player that has some decent gems on it and the puppeteer being one of them oh and God, we I live in this game in we live in a day and age where things are getting remastered left and right and even when even if things aren't getting remastered they're ported to ps4 they're ported to ps3 they're ported right. to ps5 and you can get these older games off the um, playstation store where's the puppeteer Please. Where's the puppeteer? It's not, it hasn't been ported. It hasn't been remastered. It's stuck on, it's stuck in two PlayStations ago with the PS5. And I I feel like that's, we could do a whole podcast about this and I think that'll be a great topic. Yeah, absolutely. But the topic of game preservation is extremely important. Why is, why is the puppeteer stuck? I don't know if it's on PlayStation now. 
Because with PlayStation Now, they allow you to, of course, stream games. It may or may not be. I don't know. First of all, I fucking hate streaming games. See, I, this digital future... I love the convenience. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. But, like, you're relying on a server. Um, The server goes... Like, there's... I, I, don't, I forgot which game it was, but the PS3 and 360 had some, some games like that that were yeah. online only. Mm-hmm. You could not play the game unless there was a stable internet connection <laughs> but um we're getting close to the ps5 and series x and those those servers will go down making those games lost to time and if you're like an achievement hunter or a trophy hunter you know you're so like they just announced that the servers for shadow of mordor mm-hmm. miller shadow of mordor are going down uh i believe december 31st and, and there's are... a trophy that's attached to doing some form of thing online. Oh, no. And once that's gone, the developers aren't going to update the trophy to change No, they, to don't, change they could it. care less. Yeah, they don't give a shit. It ran its course. It's gone. And I don't like these... Games shouldn't age like that. Like, I can pop in Ocarina of Time right now, and it plays just like it did in 98. Right. You pop in some of these other games, they're... They just don't work like they used to. I'll tell you one of the funniest things about that is Doom 2016. Hmm. I played it, or I downloaded it. Right. Uh, excuse me. I bought a physical copy, and I was impatient. So I oh. played it without the patch. <laughs> Oops. That patch literally made the game. Without the patch, oh, it was wait. broken, screen tearing, frame rate issues. It was atrocious. Yikes. So I had to wait for like a 40 fucking gig download Good God. before I could legitimately play the game. Yeah, it's uh, it's a two-edged sword. You can you can rush a game out. You know, we'll, we'll fix things on the fly. That's kind of cool, right? I guess. But at the same time, we're getting leaky games, half-baked games. Yeah, these patches are literally patches in the most literal sense. Like putting a patch on something to stop it from leaking. Exactly. It's the same thing as patching a game. And then you look at stuff like. We'll round it back around. We will. We're, coming up, we're, we're talking about the puppeteer. We promise, but <laughs> it, it, this is important because the puppeteer is just kind of in limbo. Stuck. It's, yeah. It's from what I understand, you can't stream it, download it, or backwards compatible it. That's compatible it. That's weird. Yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> but it's like it's just one of those games. You've got to get yourself a PS3. You, you have. Yeah, you have to have a PlayStation Three and a f- not a physical copy of the game, right? Uh, because. Although you can no longer access the PS3 and Vita stores from the Ooh, website, right. you can still access it from the console. Okay, that's kind of cool. But I would, again, like, on the topic of game preservation, if I want that, eventually, like, I'm going to have to have a physical copy. Yeah, you're just limited for choices here. But that's not what makes the puppeteer so good. <laughs> what makes the puppeteer so good? And why... So we, we, we've described the how difficult it is to kind of get your hands on yeah. a, a, this tangible game. Um, and that's why it's on the show, because it needs light shed on it. Because it's just, like we said, it's stuck in limbo. It's stuck in the dark. Um, which is a shame, because it's so good. It is one of the most gorgeous 2.5D platformers out there. Um, it's got such a unique sense of style. Yeah, it really takes... It, it, it has this stage play style Mm -hmm. everything's on strings like what if a game was being controlled by puppeteers everything was on a a string and everything was a uh, a stage piece that's a unique aesthetic what's what's the there's a mario game 
where technically it's all like a play. Yeah, and and it's one of those things where uh, the puppet here is very obviously a game of puppets and stage pieces and stuff like that. Right. But like you're saying, Super Mario Brothers three, it actually took a while for people to catch on to this. It you exit stage right into the dark. There's curtains. Um, the platforms are like nailed to the wall. Yeah. And it, it started this rumor of like, wait. Is is Super Mario Brothers three a stage play? And and it's so cool because I feel like one of the developers of um or whoever came up with that idea right. for Puppeteer is like, Okay, I wanna do that, but it's literally just gonna be like <laughs> a puppeteered stage play. I love it. And I love it. And it oh, I very much on the nose and it shines because of that. Yeah, it does not shy away from look, you're buying a game called the Puppeteer. Mm-hmm. It's not some like metaphysical like <laughs> super deep interpretation about how we're being controlled man right it's a fucking puppet show and it's an amazing 2.5d mm-hmm. platformer and it's convincing because uh, i feel like a lot of you know uh i don't i don't want to say kitty game because i don't want to alienate older people because right. i think they should play that too but not everything is all shiny and plasticky like Mario. There's like fabric materials, wood materials, and yes. everything has this texture work that makes it believable. And I love that. It it kind of shows off the power of the PS3. I completely agree. More everybody, should. Everybody always talks about like, oh, the set piece is from Uncharted 2, like the opening train set piece, yeah. or The Last of Us. Yeah. Or, and I'm just like... Which, those are fine examples, my God. Yeah, those are great <laughs> examples. But... People so often sleep on the fact of titles like The Puppeteer. Right. Because it's not that super adult-oriented, gritty, dark story. Right. Because The Puppeteer is this... And it doesn't have, like, this super kiddie story. No, it's it can get a little dark. There's some... Uh, it's for everyone, honestly. Yeah. There's, there's something there for everyone. It kind of reminds me of, like, Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal... Ooh, technically yeah. like they're for everyone like little tangible puppets and that that's where the graphics shine everything looks tangible like i said yeah and i mean if i recall correctly your weapon is a pair of scissors right yes which is so, a puppet's worst enemy cut the string yeah, exactly so they, they thought about it they, they, they could have gave him a generic weapon but they were like no what would a little puppet piece fear getting its line cut Right. They thought about everything because that's literally like for a puppet that's its existence if it can't be controlled or if it can't be moved via strings, what? Exactly. And that's such a... Oh, God. They put a lot of thought into it. It's, yeah. It has, dare I say, soul. It has heart. And I love games like this. It feels like a Nintendo title on a PlayStation. It kind of does. Like a Good Feel game. Yes. Good Feel is the company that made Yoshi's Woolly World, um, Kirby's, Kirby's Epic, Epic Yarn. Yarn. One of my favorites. And easily. the... This should have been on the list, too. Wario Land Shake It. The 60 frames of animation per second. Boy. 2D game. With that thick-ass Wario. Wow. <laughs> anyway. I I fully agree that... They didn't have to go this hard with a 2.5D platform, but they did. With a game that, honestly, I think even Sony knew was not going to hit. It was so late in the PS3's lifetime. And yeah, and it just, it's at a point where it's kind of this middle ground title because it was only like $30 or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a 39 or 29 game. It wasn't a full price game, but it was worth every penny. It was value. 
and I and if you have a PS3 and you enjoy mm-hmm. platformers, right? It, the, I don't know how the fuck I didn't think of it, as it going, <laughs> but I am so glad you thought of it because that is an excellent choice. Phenomenal. And unfor- I, it's on the show we're talking about it today because it just it's a recipe for getting lost. Late title, no ports, mm-hmm. no remasters, nothing. And I think it I'm I'm more than happy to shine some light on it for you guys. Yeah, and I think something that's interesting too is it it not being a full price title also hurt it because that means that Sony wouldn't put nearly as much marketing on it. Yeah, it you can get I hate to say this, but you can kind of see the who prices the the games the publishers i'm pretty sure it's publishers yeah okay you can kind of measure how much faith is in something because it's like nintendo has big energy faith in their ports and crap making them 60 bucks and oh my god the funny part is they're gonna sell anyway but when sony's just like here's this little 2.5d game 39 29 is that a good price yeah because nintendo's definitely like oh it's gonna sell I mean, look at Super Mario 3D All-Stars. We're Nintendo. Literally the most pitiful, basic excuse for preserving these fucking titles. $60, and it sold 5 million copies. 5 million <laughs> copies. You I know hate what? that. I hate that. I'm just going to play the originals. I, I have it on 64. I have Mario's. Are we talking about All-Stars? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get the damn cartridge. Just yeah, because at that point, D- don't reward Nintendo for putting out a pseudo limited, a lazy, janky emulated version. And you know what's funny? I'm all about playing. Play the real thing. Play the real thing if you can. Um, pirate it if you can't. But the third option, paying for a ROM. Mm-mm. On a janky emulator? Mm-mm. Yikes. So that's why Nintendo was shutting down all these emulator sites. Mm-hmm. Not that it hurt them, like, ethically. No, we should be the one. We could put a price tag on these emulators and ROMs. Mm-hmm. And that just rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, that, that makes me very uncomfortable. ROMs are key to preserving games. And they're shutting that down, and I hate that. That's And that's exactly what it is, because when you... You know what? Let's save that. <laughs> because I feel like... A, a whole podcast on just the topic of game preservation, preservation. is not only a good good topic. We've got a lot to say about it because we, yes. we we, we kind of witnessed the whole emulator purge where site after site after site was going down. Now I don't mm-hmm. recommend emulating or pirating games that you can go to Walmart and buy, but when a game is obscure, it's not on the market anymore, and that company is no longer making money from it. By all means, emulate it. Yeah, I mean, you look at something like Elemental Gear Bolt. Yeah. The company's not around. Uh, copies are probably pretty expensive. It's about a $200 game. I didn't mention that. Yeah. I mean... It's... You're putting this wall, this financial wall, where if you don't have $200 to throw away, you can't enjoy this game. No, emulate it. And that's why it rubs me the wrong way to shut down Emulator Paradise and other websites like that. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's dirty. What if you want to try a game before you drop 200 bucks in On a physical copy. Come yeah. On. No. I agree. <laughs> the puppeteer right. has been two tangents, and in the middle, a very small review. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The puppeteer's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't think it's hard to get a hold of a physical copy. I don't think so, but I feel like it's one of those games where it's reasonably priced now, but as the PS3 gets older and more retro, this will start to become a collectible. 
Exactly. It's going to be one of those secret hidden gems and it's going to make the price go up. And, you know, honestly, we're probably guilty of driving the price up right now just by talking about it. Oh, buddy. All right. So we need to Uh-oh. go. Bu- do you have a copy physically? I do not. Uh, we're going to go buy one soon. We should get on it. Are you kidding me? Nope. Not at all. Go to GameStop. It's $5. You pay used. I know a lot of people don't like GameStop. I really don't either. But right. $5, you can't. You just can't beat can't that. Go that. Okay. So I'm going to go on with my number two. Okay. Because we've had some amazing, amazing discussions about the puppeteer. And that's the nature of the podcast. If we want to do a basic review, we do a structured uh, written video. But this is a podcast. It's a completely open discussion. This is for, yeah. And honestly, because we got on the topic of game preservation, mm-hmm. I'm already thinking, all right, well, the next one, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> um, it's a great, great place to get out ideas. It really is. <laughs> so my number two game is uh, one that I feel like people don't talk about anymore just because of its place in time right spider-man by neversoft on the playstation one the nintendo 64 and the dreamcast real quick neversoft was the publisher or developer with the little owl icon no neversoft is the one who had do you have it had the eyeball and then the spike through that went through it yes developers for um little little small series i don't know if you know it's called tony hawk's pro skater that was never soft. Mm-hmm. They did the original classic Tony Hawk Pro Skater. They did one, yeah, like one through one through four at least. The good ones. But they did Spider Man using that same engine actually. That's why it played like that. Okay, mm-hmm. perfect. And so, okay, the thing for me here is, I don't think it's, I don't think it was an underappreciated title. I think now it is. It's been. Right probably 20 years now since then. I think it was 99 when it released. So 20, 21 years. God, it's old enough to drink. Oh, my God. Um, Spidey can drink. I bought that. I got this for Christmas the year it came out on my PlayStation. That's incredible. And the strat, the strategy guide for it. Remember those? It, right? There's a way to alienate our oh my younger God. viewers or listeners. Um, and the thing is. Okay, Boomer. Strategy guides. Books. Paper. <laughs> Brady games. Prima games. <laughs> Um. It, so it was all fine and dandy right until you know like I'd say Spider-Man 2 and then Spider-Man 2 became like the face of Spider-Man games yeah first god what 15 16 years maybe for a long time it held the right notes right it was good for its time Um, and then you know Spider-Man 2018 comes out it's insomniac it's fucking incredible yeah. so of course that becomes it but I feel like as we've gotten further along, people have forgotten that the PS once like Spider-Man on the original PlayStation. It was solid. Is fucking great. <laughs> Look, okay. So it all takes place on rooftops. Right. You never see New York City. Because of course it's the original PlayStation or the right. Nintendo sixty four or the Dreamcast. Limited There's... draw distance, limited hardware. But they put it where it matters. The rooftops. That's where Spidey just kinda hangs out. Right. And and instead of doing like distance is where like the fog mm, came in yeah like i guess like looking forward or back they put it down so like anytime you fell there was no, like there was a, a lot of verticality right, right. but it, it was like halfway th- down the buildings there was just it looked like just a light okay just so that you could never see yeah it's a void basically okay. you could never see like the streets or anything of course because the playstation couldn't render that right but that allowed them to have 
you know, a decent number of NPCs. It allowed them to really take advantage of Spidey's abilities, you know, swing in, Good even call. though he hang on to webs in the clouds. That was my favorite. <laughs> um, lots of cool stealth sections. Of course, a few of the classic PlayStation 1 superhero stuff. Oh, look, there's a bomb here. I need to put it in the appropriate room so it can blow off without hurting people. What, riveting. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> it was such a cool... And it was voiced. he was voiced by Reno Romano. Um, Who's that? So he's a... I don't know if he's like a big voice actor, technically. Hmm. I've heard him in a few things. Um, but he was... So he voiced Spider-Man in the... Uh, very short-lived Spider-Man Unlimited series. Gotcha. Which was supposed to be a Spider-Man 2099 series. Oh, my God. But that's a different day. Um, and he also voiced Batman in that highly unappreciated Batman show, The Batman. The Batman. That was on Kids... I think it was on Kids WB. And it had him. It had um, Kevin Michael Richardson as the Joker. Where it had the Joker with the dreads. Oh, my God. I the, remember that. I fucking love that show. <laughs> but he was the voice of Batman there. Interesting. Um, it also has the single ugliest black cat I've ever seen in my fucking life. I'll show you a picture after the podcast. <laughs> um, but it was so much of like just that wacky Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby and Stan Lee kind of Spider-Man Ooh. with Venom thrown in there. Ooh, fun. Voiced by, uh, oh, fuck, I forgot his name. Shit, I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> you can't expect you to remember every <laughs> faceless voice actor. Everyone. Um, but I think, like, people just kind of forgot about it just be- just because of its place and time. Right. And the improvement, to be fair, Sp- mm, Spider-Man 2 is a better game than this one. Ultimate Spider-Man is a better game than this one. It had a lot to help. It had the crutch of better hardware and stuff like that. Right. But I feel like... People like for when you, what it is. I think it's really, really good. <laughs> now, Spider-Man Two: Enter Electro is absolute dog shit. Crapped out like a year later, um, less than a year later. Um, but I, I that's I, this is just kind of one of those titles. I don't want to talk too much about it because right. there's a lot of videos out there about it. Yeah. Um, I, mind if I? No, go ahead. I was just thinking why it might have just popped off and just suddenly fell off the face of the earth. Because that's kind of the nature of licensed movie and superhero games. Yes. Um, they, they'll they sell well because it's insert superhero here. Right. But it's not a timeless classic like Ocarina of Time. But unfortunately, I feel like the first Spider-Man got mislabeled as another cheap, thrown-out-there superhero game. I agree. And it was probably seen on the, on the shelf as such. Mm-hmm. But it had a competent developer. Instead of just giving it to Activision or EA or whoever can just churn it out real quick. Right. And that's kind of like the surprising thing to me about. Okay, so Batman Arkham Asylum comes out. Yes. Huge hit. My God. Redefines the superhero video game genre. Mm -hmm. It redefined licensed games. Batman Arkham City comes out. All of a sudden, superhero games can be nominated for Game of the Year because people are starting to take them seriously. That's a big deal. That's huge. In the realm of any licensed <clears throat> property game. That's... Yeah. Back in our day, we just kind of rolled our eyes at it. Oh, great. Another licensed title. Mm. And then, I mean, fuck, even going back to like just 2008 where we had um, Iron Man. Yeah. You know, when, the, when the MCU was just being born. Right, right. And you had these absolute dog shit video game time it was pure obligation to put out 
a game based on a popular superhero. Yeah, absolutely. So they didn't put much care and love into it. Yeah, no, Sega would buy, Sega had a deal with Marvel, and then it was like, oh, hey, let's make these games. Exactly. And they, and you put the least amount into it, they're gonna sell because it's got this insert superhero's name here. Yeah, it's just the way it is. It makes and, a great Christmas gift. Yeah, easy. <laughs> but that's what's so exciting, but that's why I'm so glad, like, Arkham Asylum came around and showed, fuck yeah, we can do, like, if you give us enough, mm-hmm. we can make this work. Yeah. And then you look at the difference between Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, and it's just like, whoa, holy shit, they gave them a budget. <clears throat> and the fact that, like, Arkham City was game of the year. The yeah. fact that, that... That beautiful game of the year cover. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh that's the worst. <laughs> and then you look at... So Marvel announces, or uh, Sony announces, Spider-Man. Yeah. In twenty six at E three twenty sixteen. I remember that. And they're treating it like a triple A first party title, like a. They're putting it in the same boat. I mean, fuck, what was it? E three twenty eighteen. Yeah. Where they did, which was an awful E three, but where they did The Last of Us Part Two, mm-hmm. Ghost of Tsushima. It shared screen space. Spider Man. It wasn't in that little quick. Quick fire, quick shot, demo reel of upcoming games. Yeah. So it, got a, it got a good minute, two minutes of screen time. And we've got, and, and, you know, they give it to Insomniac, who's responsible for Ratchet and Clank, who's responsible for the original trilogy of Spyro the Dragon games. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm saying we're living in this renaissance of licensed games being handed to talented developers. And I feel like... like they deserve to be. Absolutely. And... Unfortunately, what comes with that is we tend to forget some of our roots, and I feel like I feel like that's just kind of the case of Spider-Man right. PS One. And I think you're absolutely right. Hmm. I feel like it was probably viewed as, oh great, it's another, it's a, it's a superhero game. <laughs> Licensed game in the '90s were a dime a dozen, and unfortunately, it got kind of lost in the shuffle. Yeah, <laughs> the shit shuffle. But here we are. Boop. Now we're looking like Spider-Man Miles Morales is uh you know like a 1.5 to spider-man kind right, of like right. a tie-in between the the two major titles that's cool and it's touted as one of the best launch games ever for a console that's exciting that's that and we're treating it a, a licensed title as a major as as a console mover shows that we've come a long way, way. that's insane to me <laughs> it's exciting what's your number three my number three, we got another PS3 game on here. I like the PS3. PS3's fucking dope. 3D dot game heroes. Let's fucking go. <laughs> but isn't that just as a... You shut your dirty fucking mouth right now. <laughs> so Tell I, them about it. I, I want to admit that I'm guilty of rolling my eyes at this game. I saw it's it and I was so like... It's so easy to. Oh, they're just... It's a Zelda ripoff. It's just... What if... An old NES adventure game was 3D. Whoa. Like, I, I, just, bro. I just passed it. I'm like, that's dumb. Later down the road, I, I find it used. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at the corner and I say, wait, is that is that Atlas? Because it, it looks like a bargain bin game. It it really it does. It looks like a bargain bin game. And um, I raise an eyebrow. I'm like, uh, they're the king of RPGs. They put out some good niche stuff. Persona. Well, they're, yeah, they're actually not so niche anymore. I think Persona 5 is up there. Oh, yeah. 
Um, in our day, these these uh, anime type games were a little more niche, but they're they're getting up there. But um, back in my day, back in our day, okay, we were, <laughs> okay, millennial. But um, <laughs> you play it, and it's like you're sitting there thinking, "Oh my god, this is not our, this is not just insert eight bit adventure game here in 3D. This is a love letter, homage, homage to that era." To that era, and it has all the tropes, but amplified, mm-hmm. cranked up to ten, and it's got all the wacky eight-bit stuff you love. Um, the sword—you get this screen-clearing sword, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a neat voxel-type aesthetic. Before that, kind of became a thing with Minecraft. Yeah, and I mean, you see even some more modern titles like House Mark's uh, Next Machina. Takes that yeah. voxel style, but 3D Dot Heroes was <laughs> they were there first, bro. He had, and I absolutely love love the aesthetic. It's so good on the eyes because you're thinking there's either hyper realistic games with all these cool special effects, or these little indie games that are replicating Nintendo games like Shovel Knight. It looks just like an NES game. Oh yeah. But what if you had something in the middle that had it was blocky and moved on a eight directional d-pad movement but you added effects like bloom lighting and reflecting water and like ambient effects right and it's this weird in between and honestly there's no other aesthetic like this no i don't i don't think any game's ever been able to you know people say like oh well breath of the wild reminds me of classic zelda like the original Zelda. I, and I get that. I do too. But funny enough, I associate 3D Dot Heroes more with original Zelda. Absolutely. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with that aesthetic. It's literally like if, if they made the original, like, adventure style game. Right. Like Zelda, you know, yeah, you're, you're, that's just the default. Yeah, you're moving on a grid. With a top-down view. And that's what I think of when I think of classic adventure games on NES. Yeah. Especially Zelda. Um, Breath of the Wild kind of amplifies that with the verticality and the, see that mountain? You can climb it type shit. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I do feel like that was kind of a limit. This thing we keep praising was kind of a limit of the time on NES. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no cutscenes pointing you in this direction or these little breadcrumb trails of items. It was just kind of, here's this cool map. You're free to explore it. Fuck it. Do what you want. And I really feel like 3D Dot Heroes captured that essence. The spirit. Just perfectly. With that shiny, beautiful coat of the cell processor. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, you take... It's like it's literally like designing an, an NES title specifically. Mm-hmm. Because it kind of has, you know, very much that, not as limited as the Atari, yeah, or like ColecoVision yeah. or anything like that. Right. But you still had like borders, like oh, you can't. There's a mountain in my way, so I'll find an, the alternate route. Right, um, and then you just take modern technology and you're just like, beautiful. Make it pr- make make that as pretty as possible. Yeah, and it is. Oh God, you were bringing up some great memories. <laughs> it's here. so good. I would get my hands on this soon. This is another game that's just not getting ported. It's not getting remastered. It's that not getting understand. anything. And this is, I looked at the price recently. 
It used to be one of those kind of bargain games, but it's about 30 bucks now, and it will continue wow. to rise. Wow. It will and continue to rise. Isn't that what it sold for at launch, I think? Yeah. That was it. That's another one of those either 30 or $40 games, I'm pretty sure. Five years from now, we're going to look back and be like, oh my God, this game's like 100 bucks now because the collectability <laughs> has gone up. Right. It's getting older. It's getting more retro. And it also kind of falls into the same category as the Puppeteer, where it's like, yes, it's, it's just stuck. It is. And Wait, did it ever release on PC or? I don't think so. I could be wrong. I'll do, I'm going to double check, but I, it's definitely in this kind of spot where without any real way to play it, it's more modern. It's in purgatory. 3D dot heroes. Did you ever? Nope, just the PS3. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that's 3D dot heroes. Woo, good stuff. A brilliant Atlas title that is hella slept on, and I have a feeling... My buddy Mike might like the PS3. <laughs> it is just, look, with the PS5 look coming out, you can't help but to look back at that one PlayStation system where Sony stumbled for the first time. One did well, two did well, four did well, five's going to do well, but what about the PS3? That system stumbled out the gate. Dude, they fucked. It tripped over its shoelaces. Yeah, and it hit face first. And, and it took a long time to recover. It was the first moment of humbling for Sony. They're like, Wow, too much big dick energy. We need to calm down. I'd kind of almost argue that like it was necessary. It was like if we didn't have that, Sony we... was unstoppable. Yeah, in the one and two era, but and now all they of a sudden, got slapped by the Wii and the three sixty. I think the I think the Wii kind of shocked everybody too. Yeah, cheap, accessible for everyone. But but it's so weak. But but that don't fucking matter in this that, case. And that was kind of the point. It was. Let's cut back on hardware to make it a cheap little box you can put next to your TV. If you want that fancy new system, get a 360. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the, the, Wii, the 360 Wii combo was killer for a long time. I saw a lot of people with both the, those systems on the, the shelf. Believe it or not, um, the, the PS3 was kind of a luxury back then. It was a luxury to have this giant blu-ray super powered machine which is funny to me because you even think about it back then it's 500 600 for depending on which model you got and that was still cheaper than most blu-ray players yeah that is absurd yeah looking back um it, it was a high price for a game console but anyone who sat down and did their research wait i'm getting a next gen playstation i'm getting something that at the time is fully backwards compatible the first model of the ps3 played mm -hmm. ps1 and ps2 games in disc format and i'm getting blu-ray player are you kidding me mm -hmm. but there no was one... a lot yeah but not but five, but that price was steep <laughs> yes i have a soft spot for the ps3 that's i, I think that's awesome <laughs> love it so i'm gonna go ahead and jump on my number three Ooh. and this is one that's kind of brought up because the mandalorian just started its second season i'm a i'm a big fan of it I always love Star Wars when they get the fuck away from the Jedi and the Sith. Uh, I love lightsabers. Tells its own story. Exactly. I love the lightsabers and in the cool combat. Sure. One of my favorite games of last year was Jedi Fallen Order. Ooh. One of... Ooh, that's going to get its own video, too. That was solid. Um, but... I thought you were going to say... Star Wars Battlefront for some reason. I'm sorry. <laughs> Battlefront is definitely not underappreciated. Nope. <laughs> um, I think... Shut up, Bixby. Nobody likes you. Um, but I really think that uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunter is one that many people don't talk about. 
So Star this Wars- is the first game you mentioned where I'm just drawing a blank. Tell me about it too. So Star Wars Bounty Hunter came out, I believe, around like after Episode Two air. Uh, episode Two came out in theaters. This is a Gen Six game, like PS2, Xbox, PS2, GameCube? Xbox, and GameCube. Gotcha. So here's the thing about my father. One, he buys a fuckload of video games <laughs> and never plays them. It'd be like that. So that's how I got to play so many games as a kid. Lucky. Two, my dad buys everything Star Wars. Used to. <laughs> doesn't do that much anymore. Um, so if it was a game, he had it. So he bought Star Wars Bounty Hunter. You play as Jango Fett, who we find Ooh. out in the prequel trilogy is the father of Boba Fett. He was in Clone Wars. Wasn't he? He was in Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones. Clone yeah. Wars. What am I talking about? Clone Wars is the series. That's right. Um, yeah, I love Attack of the Clones. No. Mm. Clone Wars is fucking great. Attack yeah. of the Clones is butt cheeks. Like Zwing Scoob. <laughs> this might be the worst Star Wars of all nine Zwing. of them. And that's ooh, that's a tough that's a tough discussion. <laughs> that's there. genuinely. I, I genuinely like. Um, I almost said Phantom Pain. <laughs> <laughs> Phantom Menace. I genuinely like Phantom Menace more than Episode Two. I can't stand Episode Two. Yeah, that's at least at least Phantom Menace has Darth fucking Maul. Yeah, come on, let's go. Um, so what you did is because you know, spoilers for like a twenty-year-old movie. Um, Jango Fett fucking dies at the end. Like he's he's introduced in there in one of the coolest looking worlds too, Camino, where it's like them big long giraffe neck looking fucking yeah. sperm sail head ass aliens. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they look like sperm cells. They do. Um, <laughs> and, and then they kill him in the fucking movie, like right towards the end. I remember that. So they're like, okay, we'll give you a game. And it's exactly what it is. Was you it? Go, little, little interruption. Whoops, sorry. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Was this a Lucas Arts game? I think so, actually. I this. Um, and you can actually, this is one of those cases where you don't have to buy a PS2 or an Xbox or a GameCube. It's available to buy on PlayStation 4 as a no PS2 kidding. Classic. Yep. Cool. I actually have it on my PS4. Um, very cool. Boy, it's very loosely controlling today, but you're talking about like 2002. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you play, of course, as Django Fett, and literally the point is you're a bounty hunter. You have an objective and some side objectives for each world you go to. And you have different tools. You can either kill them hmm. and take a smaller bounty, or you can catch them, damage them, take them in alive. It's a very simple premise. It's a level-based game. Right. Super easy. It sounds fun. And that's exact. And that's it. It's not. It's nothing crazy. Um, there's nothing like amazing about it. Right. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's not Jedi Fallen Order or anything. <laughs> yeah, or it's quite. not Republic Commando. But this was during a time where. Uh, LucasArts was really putting out some decent Star Wars games. We Absolutely. have Shadow of the Empire on 64 was so good. Oh, um, and, and GameCube it. launched with a great, great Star Wars game. You remember Rogue that Rogue Squadron or Rogue Leader? One of the two. Yeah, so good. Factor Five, man. Holy shit. Yeah, Star Star Wars was getting the premium treatment with their they, license games. They really were. Not so much anymore. Oh no. But it it was it was a very well made. And well-executed premise that, honestly, I'm kind of shocked they haven't returned to. Yeah, I'm surprised. Because you think about it, like, it's... I mean, you do bounty hunting, I'm pretty sure, in Red Dead Redemption 2. I haven't played it. Right. But I'm pretty sure you can do stuff like that. And, like, come on, it's Star Wars. Yeah. You can... 
It's a huge just, universe. Just of... fucking make a Mandalorian game. Yeah, I, and that's what I was about to say. If you you got my attention with all the Mandalorian mythos and it, lore, and it's so that subject matter that I find extremely interesting because it. Well, for one, it kind of detours from the generic stuff that Star Wars is known for. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I love I love these side stories, these these in between episode stories. And I love seeing like the seedy underbelly, like the black markets. Yeah, and, uh, the, and the, the wicked dealings of that make you that make the Star Wars universe really feel lived in, lived in, fleshed out. There's a lot going on. I mean, they call the the nine movies the Skywalker saga for a reason, because right. that's all it focuses on. Mm-hmm. And when you get outside of that is where I think Star Wars really gets super interesting. There's a lot right. of great lore. Right. But a lot of the books um, with, like, Death Troopers is a horror, a zombie Ooh. Star Wars book. Has nothing to do with the Jedi. <laughs> right. But it's such a cool take on the franchise. If you genuinely love the Star Wars universe, you'll find these little... Um, detours off the beaten path. Very interesting. And it's filled with all sorts of lore that you never even thought about. Mm-hmm. And it answers some questions that you may or may not have when you're watching the um, the main movies or the original trilogy. Right. Um, or, I, I feel like some side stories help the movies. Mm-hmm. And some side stories are just kind of there. Yeah. This answers a question you probably never had. And I don't think this game is one of them. No. I think... I think it kind of does what we want out of what we wanted out of it, and that's give us more time with Django Fett. Yeah, um, the the was originally kind of a one off little thing, but everything surrounding the Fett is yeah. just kind of got its own little cult following. I mean, Boba Fett is in the fucking movies for like, but he's know, so memorable. A fart in the wind, yes. basically. But he leaves such an impression. Yeah, that's why he has such a large fan base. I mean, he's one of like, I. I don't think I could genuinely explain how he's so iconic other than he looks cool and he's basically a fucking cowboy in space. The best way I can describe it is, you know, we're nerds. We like Star Wars. We like all this science talk and right. all this, uh, the force and just corny shit you can't really explain. And then walks in this dude, has no force powers. He's just a badass mm-hmm. in an otherwise geeky movie. And there's such a contrast with the whimsical main characters right. and this hardcore badass mother fat dude. It's kind and you're of like, like wait a minute, who's that? It's kind of like if you threw like '60s Clint Eastwood, yes, into modern Pirates of the Caribbean. Thank you, and he helps give Star Wars that western flavor that mm-hmm. gunslinging flavor and that's why i really like mandalorian especially is because it's worth disney plus <laughs> it's full on like just a western yeah it's 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 grit it's a sci-fi western to, uh, and like just fucking make a mandalorian game <laughs> please Jesus Christ. okay none of this ryan johnson bullshit oh my fucking I subverted your expectations. Woohoo! Fuck off, Ryan Johnson. No one likes you. Subverted these fucking nuts in your mouth. <laughs> What's your number four? Number four. <laughs> Great oh. recommendations. Of course, we have to talk about Star Wars. And every time we get together, <laughs> <laughs> always shit on Ryan Johnson. It's classic. Number four is a Sega Saturn game. Oh, baby! I could do a whole podcast on the Sega Saturn. <laughs> it's supposed to do that. So, so my my left armrest just went clickety clack. <laughs> 
because it's adjustable for comfort. But um, almost every game on the Sega Saturn is underrated. But I'm gonna pick this one because I have a soft spot for it because it's made by. Well, people have different opinions about Yuji Naka. Some people say he's a hack. Some people say he's a talented man who can do no wrong. I think I know exactly which one you're going for. Burning Rangers. Holy shit, that is not can the way I was going. Can we talk about Burning Rangers for a minute? Okay, so. Bur what do you think I was going to talk about? I thought for a second, because, okay, Yuji Naka's. Sonic R. Oh, God. Wasn't that, uh, what's, what's the name of the company? Traveler's Tales. Traveler's Tales. Yeah. The same company who did Crash Bandicoot Wrath of Cortex. Yeah, they've seen better days. I thought you were going to talk about Nights in a Dream. <laughs> Honestly, and I was like, I would, but that's kind of the face of the system. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, like, if you're going to talk about Nights, like, okay, I can see your point. It, it is underrated, but no one gives a crap about Burning Rangers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna and do it this. It needs to, you, to be talked about. I don't know what Burning Rangers. <laughs> Okay. We've hit, we've hit the point where, all right, I got you with one. Right. Hit me with one. So Yuji Naka is known for putting out these off-the-wall, almost one-off experiences for Sega systems. And I kind of feel like Sonic was like that at first, but Sonic proved to be so popular. You get Sonic 1, 2, 3, Adventure 1, Adventure 2, and it became a whole ass series. Right. But, <gasps> okay. Okay. Brandon over here is looking at some pictures, and it just—I think it rang some bells for him. I've seen some you gameplay. Ring my bell. Just rung his bell. Rung my bell. But yeah, okay, no, continue. Go ahead. So he makes these games where they all seem to have all Yuji Naka games seem to follow the joy of movement style. Yes, Sonic is a joy to move because he's. He's fast, and he goes through loop-de-loops, and it kind of subverts what Mario was trying to do. Right. And then you get the joy of flying in nights. And with this game, you kind of get the joy of um, platforming with really cool... And this is... Usually I say floaty controls in a negative connotation. Right. But since you're in a burning building where there's, like, broken platforms and different floors... Like, the jetpack, almost anti-gravity movement is really something I've never experienced in any other game. It's a platformer, but it's very almost like when you're using the jetpack or you're using Kazooie, you get that second jump. I kind of feel like this game did that first. It kind of sounds like, so, of course, when we talk about the Saturn, we talk about the late 90s. Yes. Um, so when you think about, like, we're still really getting into, like, figuring out how 3D platforming works. Right. I feel like he did that because it allows it to be more forgiving. Right. With your plat Because, you know, I'm sure he's still trying to wrestle with mm -hmm. 3D platforming. But Everyone it sounds was. like that Everyone really, was. really worked to his favor for this. It kind of did because he implemented a, a gameplay mechanic that, um like, you're playing a 3D platform. You're like, dang, I missed the platform. Dang, I missed the platform. Uh, I can't. I just can't get it right. Cause, Fucking crash Because you suck. Just kidding. Um, everyone got good. Yeah. But um, it's like, what if we gave our character kind of a jetpack and you could slowly, almost methodically go from platform to platform? And it it had very fluid controls. Camera was a little janky, but what 3D platformer Before game wasn't? And the reason I want to shed light on this game is because... It was on. It was released on a system that wasn't exactly known for its 3D capabilities. 
PlayStation One yeah. was built from the ground up with 3D in mind. N64 was built from the ground up with 3D in mind. The Saturn was supposed to be a 2D powerhouse mm-hmm. that did a little 3D on the side. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. This game has fully realized 3D environments, transparency effects, lighting effects. Wow. And you play as a guy. You're you're you're, you're a futuristic group of people. This is basically what firefighters are like in the future. <laughs> they got jetpacks, and this is gonna sound weird. Like what kind of weird science fictional universe is this set in? But there's different colored fire that have different elemental effects, and it's just That's interesting. It is this super. It's a 3D game released during a time, and it's a 3D. And it released during a time where we're still figuring out 3D, but it's a 3D platforming game that's almost trying to do too much with the lighting and the effects and this and that and the polygon count. Runs a little rough, I take it? It does run a little bit rough, but you got to admire it for its ambition. It's doing... It's being created by a developer who's, <laughs> who's trying to think... One, two generations ahead. Right, because this sounds like something that would be on the Dreamcast. And it's being squeezed on a system that is not known for doing 3D games. Right. And for, and this is a recipe for an absolute shit show disaster. Mm-hmm. But it's not a shit show disaster. It's decent. It's not perfect, but it actually is decent. And it follows that Yuji Naka design philosophy. Of the, right. The joy of movement. And there's a new game coming out on the PS4, PS5. Balan Wonderland. Or one Wonder something. And it follows this same philosophy. And if this game is good, Yuji Naka's back. Balan Wonderworld. Yeah, you, so if you're if you're hyped for that game and you want to go back and kind of play what some of Yuji Naka's other experimental games, which Balan Wonderland is. I keep saying Balan Wonderland. Balan. Like I'm Chad Warden over here. <laughs> <laughs> then play, then play knights, then play burning heroes, because this man was really trying to innovate back then. He was perhaps he was a little too ahead of its time, and the mm-hmm. tech just wasn't there. But it's so admirable to me. But I'm, it, I will say this now: I am always willing to forgive a game's faults when you can see the ambition and what they were trying. Yeah, or be more forgiving. Like, oh, the frame rate's a little janky. But, but look at what all he's trying to do with it. Exactly. There's frame rate because a game is poorly optimized and not made well. There's bad frame rate because a game is just sucks. Right. <laughs> but then there's bad frame rate because the game's trying to do things that's a generation ahead of its time, and it's right. struggling. That warrants admiration from me, even though the game is a little janky to play. Um, but my God, Burning Rangers is a showcase of what the Saturn could do. I'm going to have to play that one. You are going to have to play that one. And that's, so yeah, that's number four for me? Number four, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think I think Balan Wonderworld is going to be an interesting title. Get hype. I love you, Naka. Square Enix giving this man his own studio and a big budget to make the hit. Sega's, Sega's Golden Boy is now working for Square Enix. And it's funny that he's he said like faith in him. I asked for a you know, for like a chance to make a title and they said he's All a right. visionary. I love you, G. And he's, they said, All right, we'll give you the money you need, but you got one game to make this right. You got one chance to get this right. Because they opened up a studio for him. 
he's they're kind of he's kind of getting the um <laughs> take my gamer card away from me who made the metal gear series what's his name oh kojima Ko- kojima i knew that i was just testing you <laughs> <laughs> who, who made that death stranding game um <laughs> but yeah he's kind of getting the same treatment like sony's like hey we know who you are do here's, your thing here's a blank check Make your title exclusive to us. And Square's kind of like, we know who you are. You you, you kind of made Sonic in these random, really creative one-off games in the past. What can you do for us? Mm-hmm. You're, you're Sega's former golden boy. So and I, ho- I hope it's good. I hope so, too. Because Yuki Na- Yuji Na- Yuji Naga is um, not perfect. No, but, but again, I'm always... The hustle's there. Yeah, and I'm always willing to forgive be more forgiving of games faults if i can see and there are games where you can genuinely tell like there's creative ambition behind this yeah i mean you talk about like so let's go on a i want to go on a ball in wonderland or wonder that game's title so fucking weird. ball in wonderland whatever that is um, the, the whimsical looking alice in wonderland with the the flying puppet that looks like knights it really does <laughs> i don't know what it is um so <laughs> You know, with the dual sense, the whole thing they're talking about is yeah. like the haptic feedback, the immersion, the way they can control, like how if you close your eyes, you can tell like whether you're walking on sand or in water or on steel. Ooh, you can feel textures through the vibrations. Yeah. And a lot of reviews I'm reading are saying that's the game changer for this generation. That's what puts Sony over right now. Who better to take a, a, a new console and do some cool stuff with it than new Yuji Naka? He's already said like, all the forms that are going to be unlockable in the game that you can use are going to have different sensations with the dual sense. That's cool. That that to me That's some Kojima shit. Is like, all right, <laughs> I'm gonna buy this. I'm gonna pick it up because I almost want to support it by principle. Yeah, like I, I not only not only is he taking advantage of the hardware he's given, but he's going to do something like Give me a next gen experience. Yeah. Fuck's sake, I don't even think like so Demon Souls has that same kind of haptic feedback yeah. where you can feel when you need to pair or when you need to repost and that's things cool. like that. And it that's kind of like that's very immersive. That right. helps. But you're talking about like 50 plus forms <laughs> having a different <laughs> feeling with the dual sense. How is he going to do that? I am so fucking excited for that. Got to love Yuji Naka in square together. That's a weird combination. That's a very weird combination. Burning Angel, burning, burning Rangers. Rangers. I almost said Burning Angels. That's not. <laughs> that's nineties anime as fuck. Yeah, it, and it does have these little anime cutscenes, and it's got oh. corny, uh, butt rock music with lyrics and shit. It's just such a. It's such a. I have a soft spot for this title, but yeah, gotta love the Saturn, a hidden gem machine. So I'm cheating a little bit with my number four. Ooh. There's three titles here. What you got there? One of them is a Saturn title, actually. No kidding. So I was thinking about platformers. There's a lot of platformers that just went completely under the radar. A lot of that because, you know, we're talking about the late, the late, fuck. No, let's, let's go from the NES to like mid life of the PlayStation one. Okay. Maybe even towards the end. So there's just a fucking truckload of platformers. Yeah. It was the platforming renaissance. Yeah, new characters. Was it Titus the fucking Bat or whatever? Yeah, that dumbass shit was. Every, all these companies were trying to put out the new hip, cool mascot. Oh, we got the new Mario or the new Sonic, you got know. the new Bubsy. Oh, my God. 
and because of that, a lot of platforming titles got you know swept under the rug. Yeah, they were a dime a dozen. They they and, really were. And as a platformer, you really had to be something special to shine amongst the others. And I've got three here that Ooh. I think are very much deserving. You know what? I, I, he's had this paper in front of me with this list, and I've tried to peek it, but I, I can't. It's upside down, and he kind of writes cursive-ish. It, it, my handwriting is shitty. So, so I can't even cheat <laughs> and, and, and find out, even though it's right in front of me. So the what first is one is Klonoa. <gasps> Door to Phantom Isle oh my God. on the PlayStation. I have some things to say about this, too. I'm going to call it like it is. This is the single most unappreciated platformer on the original PlayStation. I think Klonoa deserved more. Klonoa, so it's, it's Bandai's attempt at making a mascot for themselves. They yeah, it went was Bandai, wasn't it? All in. Mm-hmm, because if you look on Klonoa's hat, there's the a Pac-Man. Pac-Man logo. And this game, it's a 2.5D game. So you had 3D environments. Right. Klonoa was 2D, I believe. Klonoa and, like, character sprites and stuff. And if I'm not mistaken, it was 2.5D, but it was the first to, like, do that rotating environment thing. You know, yeah. Where the, the environment just kind of rotates and you got Klonoa. You yeah. know that effect I'm talking about? Yeah, because that was actually the first level. That is awesome. So what you did is you had, you had this ring, basically. Right. And you could use it to hit your enemies to blow them up. Klonoa only has one jump, but she has a hover. Or he. I think Klonoa is a he. I don't know. It's a mascot. You almost blew my mind there. <laughs> they, so uh, they only have one jump. So what you do is you inflate these enemies and you use them as a double jump or as a projectile. Ooh. So if you see a gem that's just out of reach, chances are it's a little bit of a platforming puzzle. There's an enemy coming around the corner. You're like, oh, I can just whoop, grab it, double jump. Now that's thinking outside of the box as seeing... Enemy Goombas and Mario just just get them out of your way. They're 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 in the way. Now, right. In this game, you look at enemies and you're like, wait, what can I use this for? Is there a out of height jump I need to use? Exactly. And that's the interesting thing. And of course, you know, there's boss fights where like you they'd send out minions, whoop, blow them up, throw them right, at them, right, right, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up Mario and Goombas because when you think hmm. back to the original Super Mario Brothers, right, those Goombas are like the test for you. They that's that's how they teach you. Right? Yeah. Here's some Goombas. Learn how to defeat enemies. You you experiment. You jump on them. Right. They're gone. Can I touch them? No, I'm dead. Can I jump over them? Okay, cool. Can I jump on them? All right, great. I can do that too. So now I know this is what I can do. But Klonoa doesn't just, exactly, it doesn't just use the enemies Hmm. as like a learning experience in terms of how do I defeat the enemy to progress. It's how do I use this enemy to my advantage to either solve a puzzle right now right. or take care of maybe another enemy in the way. I imagine a new player would use their ring and think to themselves, oh, I'm, I'm going to beat this enemy. And all of a sudden, Klonoa picks the enemy up and they're like, wait, what? What's this about? And then it kind of clicks because you jump and I'm like, oh, shit, I don't have a double jump, but I can hover a little bit. Hmm. Okay, well, what if I, I have this enemy? Oh, I can throw it because that's always going to be your first instinct. That's cool. In my opinion. I think a lot of people are going to like ring it and then hit the attack button again. Oh, so I can throw it. And then somebody by accident is going to ring it and then be like, well, can I do anything in the air with it? Boop, boop. You figure out you've got a double jump now. That that's that harkens back to the experimental nature. Um, like Super Mario Brothers 2, um, where you pick up enemies and throw them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I, I feel like Bandai made such a unique 
and great game, and nobody talks about it, even the remake on the Wii, and I fucking hate it. And the sequel on PS2? PS2, which was just as good, by the way. Clonoa for Smash. Oh, my God. Yahoo! <sighs> fucking nut. Um, I do remember Klonoa saying, Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so cute. So it, the, th- the unfortunate thing is it's expensive. It, yeah, it's, it's one of those games. And I, and we're talking about both the PS1 version, if we, if you want to get the first game, both the PS1 version and the Wii version. Jeez. Both games are low print runs, didn't sell very well, so there's not a a shitload of them out in the wild. Kind of buried under the, the all the Marios and the Crashes and the Spyros and the right. Banjos. Because you're also talking about a PlayStation 1 that had Crash and Spyro at this point. Yeah. And, like, that's... They're hard to dethrone. <laughs> they are. Um, so I'm going to cut that one short, unfortunately, okay. because that's going to get its own video as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, trying. I'm doing my best not to go on full-ass tangents. <laughs> I I feel you. It's so difficult. <laughs> but the length of this, the longer the podcast, the more the listener has to listen to. Yeah, I love pulling up a long podcast on road trips and stuff. I do I'm that. I'm sad when they end. Even though they're like three hours long. Like, oh, that's all. I do that with, um, so I work where I work. There's a kiosk outside. Mm-hmm. And I always throw an earphone in, just throw on an episode of a podcast. Awesome. Um, so, uh, you know what? I'm going to save that one for last. The third one I have listed here, specific, okay, so it's Castle, Mickey Mouse and Castle Evolution. Okay. Specifically, it's the fucking remake. Nobody's talking about this. And I'm telling you right now, it's a fucking great remake. I agree with you because the whole point of this episode is to shed light on games that don't get enough attention. Now we're talking about a company who tried to do just that. Trying to shed light on a hidden gem of a game for Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. And it, it fell just no as No one flat. cares. And, and, the, and that's fucking crazy to me, right? So it's Mickey Mouse. It's Disney. It's iconic. It is the hottest property in the world. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? How? And look, the game can be beaten in like, I beat it in one two and a half hours straight. <laughs> okay. What, was that not the most fun two and a half hours you've ever had I in just, a 2D? 2.5D platform. It, it's so good. Let's take everything about Mickey Mouse Castle Evolution. That made it great. The The platforming is a little floaty. Sure, whatever. Yeah. But you have a projectile to make up for that, so you don't have to use. Like, you don't have to jump on them. You mm-hmm. don't have to butt slam on them. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't... Uh, you you have this very creative design. Right. Like, with... My favorite will always be the, the playroom. Where yes. The, it, it looks like Mickey's been shrunk down to like the size of a toy, and it's just this. It's almost like a Toy Story vibe, right? And it's and it's this really unique because look, because especially in the remake, like all like there's planes with different textures and models, and there's nutcrackers of different colors. And, and you couldn't do this on the Genesis. No, they, um, I remember on the Genesis, I think they had just like a couple colors, which is great. Yeah. It's a great way to identify because like the planes had different flight patterns yeah it's like some would kind of wave up and down very so. colorful and bright vibrant game that only benefits from being remade i i love the classic but my god and it's dude, beautiful nobody's talking about it no one talked about the original either so it kind of inherited that unfortunately it, it, that really is sad because i feel like you know we t- when we talked about spider-man earlier it it's a licensed game it's a licensed disney game right. on the 16-bit consoles so yes we had aladdin's we had lion king's we had um some other shit I can't think off the top of my head right now. <laughs> it's in this weird position where it was probably made to appeal to very young children. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Kids can play it. But I don't think 
kids can truly appreciate, you know, graphical fidelity and good controls. Just how good it is. Because when an adult plays it, like, whoa, this plays well. Um, and, and that bump to, like, 60 frames a second, oh, my God. That platforming is so smooth. <laughs> it, platforming really benefits from just, extra frames. If you have, and it's on PS3, 360, Yeah, it kinda, it's kind of lingering in last gen. They never had a physical release for it, unfortunately. So on Steam. Yeah, it's on Steam. So definitely buy I bought I bought it for like two dollars on sale. <laughs> Get it on sale. And I would have very soon. I would have bought it full price full price, I think it's like five or ten dollars. Anyways. I'm so glad we're talking about this. It's so, so good. This is probably one of those games that I feel most passionate about because it's like, look, I get that people don't like Disney. I, I understand Disney is a powerhouse right now. Yeah. And they have almost a little too much power. Whoops. But Castle of Illusion, the remake. You know what? If you want to play either version, fine. But the remake deserves to be played. Yeah, because it, it, it <clears throat> follows the formula of um, Spyro got his remakes, and it did yes. well. Yeah. Crash got his remakes. It did well. What about Mickey? Mickey got... What did they do wrong? Mickey got dickied. Mickey got dickied. <laughs> and no, the last one is um, is the Sega Saturn game. So when I was younger, my mm-hmm. dad worked at an appliance parts store. Monday to Friday. I remember that. He had... Um, what he did, it was he was a salesman, but he had a bunch of friends there, a ton of like friendly customers who always came in and, and chatted with him. One of them came in and said, "Hey, you got a kid, don't you?" And he goes, "Yeah, I got two of them." He's like, "Either of them a gamer?" He goes, "Yeah, my son is." Hands him a Sega Saturn. Oh my! Two God. controllers and a couple games. Lucky guy. Uh, my dumbass sold it. Unfortunately, when I got older, like a what? fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I made I made so many terrible choices as a youngster, um, youngster Joey. If only we could see the. <laughs> if only we could see the future, right? Um, came with Mega Man X Four. Ooh, came with Virtual Cop. Good came bundle. Daytona. Daytona. Daytona Speedway. I think it was. Daytona or Daytona Racing USA. Racing USA. USA. Um, and then it came with one more title. One that. I'm pretty sure is Ubisoft published, maybe developed. This game is good. I, I think I know what it is. But what might be the, and I'm going to make a big claim here, the single most of unappreciated platformer of all time because it was locked to the Sega Saturn, and it's a little title called A Stall. Oh, my God, this game is beautiful. A Stall is, you want to talk about how the Saturn was a 2D powerhouse. Thank Holy you. Shit. <laughs> a stall has some of the most fluid movement. It has some of the coolest looking and feeling combat. The platforming is I'm going to say it, it's perfect. At the time, it was the true next-gen experience if next-gen was going to be awesome 2D. The sprites are so gorgeous. It's difficult, mm-hmm. but it's never so harsh that you feel like okay, the game's just being cheap now. It's not the like it's not the Lion King, <laughs> right? Challenge totally playable. In fact, it's one of those games where if you're if you're do if it's difficult, you're probably just sucking. Yeah, it's not the game's fault. You if, need to it, get the, better. The con- when the control is good and tight, then it's just your skill ceiling. <laughs> I just I cannot get this game out of my head. I love it. I'm glad you mentioned it because it it kind of follows that original vision of Saturn being a 2D powerhouse, like you said. 
it could have very well have followed the the cool 3D trend of the time, but it said no. We're gonna put out a 32-bit 2D game, and we're gonna make it look gorgeous. I mean, this is okay. Let's see who did this. Um, do, 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 do. get the fuck. Okay, so it's who not ma- Ubisoft published. Oh, okay. It is. So it's published by Sega, developed by Sega. Oh my god, Sega! What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Listen, I love Yakuza. Sega, I love that you brought back Bayonetta and Vanquish. But you had some gems in the past. But it just got left in the past. Literally, all you have to do is clean this up and put it in new resolution. I don't care. You know what? Fuck it. Put do, it in widescreen. Do a cheap port. Just Nintendo it. You, listen, if you ported this right now and said, all right, it's $60, brand new. You know what? I'm going to fucking buy it. <laughs> With, without he- You know what? I'm going to buy a copy for you. You know what's funny? It's actually kind of a good deal if they port it for 60 bucks because this game is expensive. It is expensive as shit. Um, and I had... God damn it. It's I so had good. it boxed, dude. I had box manual. Oh, it's worth so much now. Oh, it's like two hundred dollars, isn't it? It's like it, I'm pretty sure it's past. It's the getting up there. I just as all, all Saturn games are. I'm gonna do a video on it because this is a title again that I feel needs to be talked about. But a stall, and and I'm gonna stand <laughs> by this. You quote, throw it on Twitter. If we ever get Twitter famous, or we ever get whatever. Twitter fame. That sounds scary. Fucking throw this on my tombstone. A stall. Here lies Brandon Clark. He thought a stall was pretty damn good. He thought a stall was the single most unappreciated 2D platformer in history. Amen to that. Okay. I'm going to step off my soapbox. Okay. (laughs) Stall's good. (laughs) Go go ahead with your number five. With number five. Can we talk about Vanquish for a minute? My man, let's go. So as you may or may not know, I call them the crazy, wacky, fun company that is platinum making all these crazy, wacky games. It's, that's all they are, but I love them. It is I so love good. them. They're, and I think that's what makes them so good is because they, they, they started it with that and they're just like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to keep going with it. It's a company that doesn't hold back. Fucking Hideki Kamiya, my dude. Fast-paced crazy controls combat that's just such a spectacle they make games that are spectacles and i want to talk about vanquish because that's platinum games kind of messing with a genre that they're not super familiar with platinum primarily does action games beat-em-up games stuff like that yeah usually here they are making a third person shooter game yeah because when i think platinum of course the first thing that comes to mind is bayonetta which is basically platinum's attempt at making a devil may cry and it works it is it's a great game (laughs) it's up there in the big leagues but here they are making you know stretching their talent a little further let's make a third person shooter game which is dangerous because now you're playing with gears now you're playing with the big leagues because especially this is what 2010 yeah yeah so definitely you're talking about that yeah that three that, the 360 that, ps3 era yeah that dark gritty third person shooters and first person shooters and it kind of dips his toes in that and i think unfortunately that's why it was a little bit slept on because people are like ah oh, third person shooter by i don't i don't know what this game is but i'll stick to gears i'll stick to this i'll stick to that yeah and you're ta- i'm pretty sure it was full price too yeah so full and here's the thing about platinum games i believe I believe they fall into the same category as Capcom games, naturally, where it's it's shorter. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Devil May Cry 5 is 
if you play on normal mode, it's probably about eight hours. But the intent, the, the game is designed for you to replay it. Yes, the Platinum is known for their scoring system, their style points. Yeah. You can beat the game by a thread and just get awful grades, and you can't help but look back and wonder, like, how can I beat it? But how could I get more stylish it's it's that arcade that's that very japanese arcade mentality mm-hmm. and i love it if they made it work in a very console type way mm-hmm. but um it's just it takes the generic third person shooter and it adds that platinum speed that platinum combat that the style points the grading the the bullet time from bay or the yes. witch time from bayonetta yes and it makes like platinum's known for their very fast-paced games, but how mm-hmm. do you make a third-person shooter fast? You add sliding, and if you look at the cover, mm-hmm. what's our main character doing? He's sliding on his ass, because that's kind of the gimmick of the game. Platinum's kind of gimmicky, but they have fun gimmicks. Yeah, it's not like... It, it's not a dumb, like, pointless gimmick. They, You're exactly right. Like It plays into the style. Yeah. The it, grading. It's the whole... It's... It's the most important mechanic in the game, right, exactly. Because when you're sliding, is when you can slow down time. Mm-hmm. So if maybe things are going a little too fast for you, you catch your breath, take the shots you need, get back up, and keep going. Exactly. And once you get into that, once you start understanding the fluidity, you can slide and get up and slide and get up and duck and cover. And you're, it's a game you almost want to show off playing. Mm-hmm. Like, look how good I got at Vanquish, and. When I first started playing and I did the sliding move, I thought it was a mess. I'm like, oh, God, I can't control it. What is this? What's mm-hmm. this doing? And then I got good. And then you realize what this is for. And it's kind of this inaccessible feature at first that you start to learn how to utilize. It's it's very much like, I'll, I'll go back to Devil May Cry. You can play Devil May Cry 3 and probably get through it by just mashing the triangle mm-hmm. button. And maybe, you know, shooting your guns, swapping your weapons every once in a while. But where it really starts to shine is when you take advantage and learn to utilize the the mechanics they give you. Exactly. Like, with Vanquish, yeah, sure, you could probably just slide around everywhere, look like a dick, and use cover. You could treat it like Gears of War, right. but faster. It's but a tool. when you utilize it, like, when you use what they give you and learn how to play the mm-hmm. game, then everything clicks and you start getting better and better Exactly. And better. It's a tool for the player. It's not this magic button you push and it clears the screen. No, it's at first it's like, what am I doing? And then you learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. I and love games like that. I'd like to also point out, directed by the legendary Shinji Mikami. Oh, wow. Who you might recognize from this little tiny game, small game. What really a big hit. It's called... Called Resident Evil. Resident Evil. I think I've heard of it. And also, does it have um, anything to do with Biohazard? Yeah. Or is that a separate series? I think it's a separate series. <laughs> I'd also like to point out that he directed another very small, not very talked about title called hmm. Resident Evil Four. Like, I may have heard of that one. <laughs> Wasn't that like the one that was slept on? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm wrong. It was the opposite. It was the <laughs> probably the most popular Resident Evil. Oh my God! Ported to the you know, like the highest number of systems. So good. Yeah, no, Vanquish, I I think you're exactly right. I think them bringing it back on PS4 along with Bayonetta was an excellent choice. And it's, it, it, here's, it kind of goes to show you how ambitious ambitious the game was. We have HD consoles like 360 and PS3, 
and it struggled on those. Oh yeah, it needed that extra little oomph on PC and PS4. More frames. I know when I played stuff. it on PC, the it, last time I played it on th- was on 360, and it felt like a totally different game. There's I'd, there's a game that's two generations ahead of its time under there. Yeah, agreed. Um, that's my five. Those are some excellent choices, Thank my you, dude. Sir. I'm gonna Ooh, go with your last one is my number five, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be quick about it because a lot of people do touch on this. Um, if you haven't, if you don't watch her videos, the Sphere Hunter, she does incredible work on covering a lot of horror and especially mm. Capcom titles. Want to check her out? Um, my number five though is a title she's already talked about and one that I feel isn't talked about. It's Parasite Eve. I know a little bit about this. So this is basically Square Enix's attempt to get in the market with Resident Evil. Which was very popular at the time. And Silent Hill. Everyone um, was kind of doing that in the late 90s. Everyone yeah. Has their, everyone was ha- had their unique take on horror. It was, it was horror and platformers. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's the thing. The original Final Fantasy VII was going to be set in New York City and follow Detective Joe. I'm pretty sure his name was. Uh, oh yeah, he was got a black hair. Yeah, so when all that got scrapped, Square Enix is like, uh, okay, so I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take New York City, because these are some good ideas. I'm gonna keep the cop element, and then we're technically gonna make a sequel to the book Parasite Eve. Boom. So there's a book, uh, a Japanese book called Parasite Eve. I think you were the one who told me this. And it, and this essentially acts as a sequel. Now. This is where it gets really interesting for Square Enix. So it's a shorter title. Yeah. But it's very story heavy, and it's got this active time gun combat system. And that's, that's if you know Square, that's very different for them. Yeah. So it's, um, you have an ATB that loads, and you have items, and you have whatever gun you have equipped. So you'll see there's um, a, a bullet counter, but it's right. just like, it's... It, it literally shows how many bullets you have in this magazine. Gotcha. So you can either pop off all your bullets, or you can shoot them a couple times and use an item, etc. It's this really unique take. It's a mix of Final Fantasy, of Final Fantasy's active turn-based combat, mm. and Resident Evil's real-time combat. Interesting. Um. And the whole, I'm sitting here just learning. And the whole thing <laughs> is like, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Um, because mitochondria gets, I believe it's infected with this disease. Right. Um, this is a Square's T-virus or something. Kind of, yeah. So it starts with Aya Brea, who's our main character. Mm-hmm. She is going with her date to the opera, which is where that Eve is. That explains the opera house opening. I, I was so confused. I was expecting like... More generic Resident Evil, right? Silent Hill type environments. It, it almost reminds me of Final Fantasy VI in the opera scene. I thought it was directed by Kubrick or something. I'm like, what am I watching? <laughs> like some eyes wide shut stuff. So uh, everything's going fine until Eve starts, you know, doing her shit, and the whole theater spontaneously combusts, except for Aya. Right. Aya starts chasing her. We go down into like the dressing rooms and stuff, like this lower level of the theater. And we, and we see this one cutscene, And this is where you can tell it's based on Resident Evil. So there's this, or it's, it, it pulls from Resident Evil. Yeah. So there's this rat. 
and we Ooh. slowly see it change, deform, and evolve like its skin rips. Ooh, a bit of body horror. Mm-hmm. Very Cronenberg. And it turns into this big, nasty fucking New York rat, right? Big festering black plague rat. Yeah, it's gross. I like that. And then it transitions into real-time combat. It's your first battle. Oh, that's different. And then, of course, there's a couple of other parts where, like, you walk into a room and this burning body come towards you, comes towards you, and it falls down. It's this very good. There's some creepy enemies in this game. So you think, like, with Resident Evil, it's all about like the atmosphere and the gore aspect, right? Yeah. And zombies and right and infected animals and stuff like yes. that, like the giant snake, the spider. Uh, hashtag bring back the giant spider and snake for Resident Evil Eight. Um, but with Parasite Eve, you're exactly right. It's very Cronenberg. It's very body horror. Um, especially like when we see Eve transform, she goes from this beautiful, like this very stereotypical, um, pretty white woman. Right. And they did that on purpose to show the contrast between what she is and what she's going to become. She's got this stunning red dress on. Her skin is like porcelain white, brown Mm. hair, green eyes. And then when she changes, her hair just gets nasty and and of course i feel like a lot of that is because of the playstation yeah you know but it works it, it just kind of works and she gets these long almost werewolf like arms with these her fingers get long nails do Jeez. she looks gross and it's very obviously like the ugliest side <laughs> right if you can play parasite Eve. Okay. it's available on the playstation it's not too expensive. It's probably 25 bucks. Get it before it does get expensive. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the rest of the series does not hold up nearly as well. Dang. Um, the third birthday is an absolute fucking disaster. Mm-hmm. I hate everything about that game. <laughs> you, I remember you had it on the PSP. You just you didn't have much to say about that one. Mm, not at all. Damn. What I have to say now is fuck that game and fuck Tetsuya Nomura. That sucks. Um, and Parasite Eve 2. Parasite Eve 2 solid. I'm pretty sure that went to the full real-time combat thing but there is something special about the original parasite eve gotcha and while i don't think it's underappreciated in the gaming community i feel like the horror community and the horror gaming community no one when people do horrorless oh best it's horror games of all time resident, resident evil, evil. yeah i think fatal frame gets more attention than parasite eve and I really and I and I do believe a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's only three games in the franchise, right. and there was almost like a ten year gap between two and it, the third birthday. It doesn't look horror. The cover does not sell you on the horror aspect. No, not at all. Um, it's not the, until the publisher really, doesn't. You look at Square Enix, and you don't think of horror, right? What is a Parasite Eve? Yeah, at least with Resident Evil, that that has the word evil in it. Silent Hill sounds spooky. Fatal Frame. These sound scary. And then you look at the covers. Like Silent Hill's cover is like. It's that dreary snow and that negative look at yeah, uh, like a go- James. I can't remember his name. The Henry Harry Henry Harry yeah, Harry, Harry. Harry Harry Mason. Because James is the is Silent Hill too. Yes. Um, it's ghostly apparition on the cover. Resident Evil. You have, I guess, what was an Americanized drawing of Chris fighting against the zombies, mm-hmm. or you have like the was it the director's cut where it's got the zombie. Like the yeah, they zombie it. head turn. They changed it a little bit. <laughs> the soundtrack sucks balls in that one. And then you've got, you know, Fatal Frame, which has a creepy cover as well. But Silent Hill, yeah, it's just Ayabrea. And you're like, looks weird. What is this? Yeah. and I, I didn't know what to take from it. But I definitely think 
Parasite Eve is a title. It's not very long. It's probably like t- eight, ten hours. Sometimes shorter is better. Um, but man, it is <laughs> it is something special. <laughs> Good to see some horror on this list. Oh, I got plenty more horror because get ready, guys. We're moving on. Movies. This will probably be a little bit quicker because yeah. there's not nearly as much to talk about. Right. With movies this is as a good there's movie. games. And there's, with movies, I feel like it's more... We can talk about the gameplay and not spoil the game, but you can't talk about scenes of a movie without spoiling it. So right. This might be a little more quick fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead with your number one, bud. Number one is Hobo with a Shotgun. Really? Yep. Okay. So isn't that on Netflix? I couldn't. I searched it and I couldn't find it on any free streaming services. But it's one of those movies that comes and goes. Okay, it might be on Shutter. Okay, um, I've definitely heard about it. <laughs> Shutter's pretty cool. No, I mean Hobo with a Shotgun. Oh, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Ooh. I've only heard about it. Not really something that's strong on the story side. Like a spoiler. People die. Like how could I spoil this? Yeah, I mean, but, it's, um, <laughs> it's called Hobo with a Shotgun. Yeah. Now, it's a one-off idea, mm-hmm. and there, there was actually this contest back in the day to make your own grindhouse-style oh, yeah. trailer, and someone made this really cool, and I remember this on YouTube. It was trending on YouTube way back in the day called Hobo with a Shotgun, <clears throat> and it was, it was short and sweet because it was a trailer, but in that little trailer was one of the best revivals of Grindhouse ever. And I guess I should explain Grindhouse a little. Old exploitation-type films from the 60s, 70s, and 80s that just relied on blood, sex, and all that good and, stuff. Yeah. Like it was a good theater popcorn time. They did, oh, what was, um? they did, like, the Grindhouse double feature, you remember, like, in the early 2000s? Yeah. It's Because one of them had Kurt Russell in it, and the other it one had... Did. It was you know Death what? Proof. Yeah. And Planet Terror? Yes. Think of also like Machete. Yeah, I would yeah. call those very grindhouse films. Right. But they were um, – the difference between Hobo with a Shotgun and those movies, those are big – those are slight – well, I wouldn't say big budget, but they're well-known directors. I mean, comparatively speaking, probably so, yeah. Hobo with a Shotgun, I forgot the director's name. Um, Jason Eisner. Jason Eisner, kind of a nobody from Canada. But you can tell that he's a fanboy of that genre, and he put together a loving – homage to 70s grindhouse it even has the that weird technicolor grading of the 70s yeah dude that's a fucking cast too yeah it's the main character the hobo is the guy from blade runner rutger hauer yes wow okay i mean yeah and you're talking about a budget of three man it's got the trailer park boys dude yeah Um, he's also in that other movie we talked he just keeps showing his face in good movies no kidding but it is a celebration of grindhouse and i recommend it very highly uh so we're again we're recording this as of november 7th it is available on tubi and voodoo for free i'm sure with voodoo it's probably with ads i love tubi and the whole yeah and the whole thing with tubi is that it's free because of ads yeah um so if you're willing to do that cool check it out i'm gonna check it out probably this weekend good stuff uh my number one is a hugely fucking popular film why is it on the list? Yeah. Because people You're not don't appre- following the criteria. Yeah. Because people don't appreciate it for what it really is. Exactly. And that's kind of been the case with some of these games and movies. My number one's Paranormal Activity. I'm talking about the original. 
Really? Abs- I think Paranormal Activity is one of the most unappreciated horror films of the last 15 years. You know what's weird? It being so popular and trendy kind of worked to its detriment. I absolutely agree. Because it's just like... It, it, Horror aficionados kind of roll their eyes because they're like, oh, it's that one film that trended. No, we went the art house horror and stuff. Yeah. And I would promptly tell them to watch the fucking movie. Right. And gorehounds kind of roll their eyes at it, too, because, you know, you're talking about webcams and stuff. Let me let me look up its exact budget. But you're talking about a film that was shot and edited in a week. That's efficient. For what it is. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Okay, so... So, technically, it has a budget of... What is it? Oh, my God. Are we really talking... I want I want the film. Yes, thank you. <laughs> the um, subject matter. Paranormal right? activity. So, we're it's budget. $15,000. Now, a lot of people Wait, are like, God damn, $15,000. That's a lot of money. Think about it like this. Halloween had more. The first one. $15,000, and it made almost $200 million at the box office. That's quite a profit margin. So they finished, uh, they did the whole film, $15,000, and then when Paramount acquired it, right. they reshot the ending and added some extra stuff. Just a little polish. Uh, they gave them $200,000 to do that. Ooh. So when they originally shot the film and planned to release it, $15,000. And even still, $215,000. Hobo with a shotgun was $3 million. Yeah. And that, that's still considered lower budget. I, and it absolutely is. Here's the thing. Everything about Paranormal Activity is for the last minute. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people who are like, oh, there's cheap. I don't like cheap jump scares. That's the thing. Everything in Paranormal Activity is for the last minute. And I realize that doesn't sound super rewarding. Right. Because but I'm it's like. It's very much the Jaws type situation. That's ex- this all this talk about Jaws. Fuck, and that's light. perfect. You don't see until the end, but it's worth it. That payoff is nice. You think about like, here's another one. Let's go with gaming comparisons. Sephiroth in the original Final Fantasy VII. Him shrouded in mystery is part of his legacy. For the first like five hours of the game, they constantly just tease and talk. They never stop talking about Sephiroth. But have you seen him? Nope. Not really. And when you do, and when you realize, and when you see the Midgar Zolum. And you see him, and you see what he's capable of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely petrifying. I remember playing seven, small tangent, playing seven and seeing that there's this enemy that's hard to beat, this giant snake thing, mm-hmm. and it's a pain in the butt. And then you see one, you see one impaled on a stick, and Cloud looks at it and says, "I think Sephiroth did this." It, and that's after that you go shook me. You go all the way around, like your from your asshole to your elbow to get a fucking chocobo mm-hmm. just to be able to get past it without being caught by the Midgar by one of the Midgar Zolums. And that will shake you. And this kind of follows that same idea. Exactly. It spends this whole movie just slowly building. It's not like a slow burn like the original Alien where the whole third act is like, "Oh shit, we're fucked." Yeah. This all it's a possession film that spends the entirety of this film slowly building up. You have this wonderful couple at first. Right. And it builds and it builds. And slowly but surely she becomes more unhinged, more dangerous. And you get to follow it just as someone who lives with her would follow it. Exactly. It's like a it's like you're peeking into someone's house, peeking into someone's privacy. 
I'm going to say this, and I'm probably going to piss a lot of people off. Uh-oh. I think Paranormal Activity is the next generation Blair Witch Project. I was actually going to touch on that, and I completely agree with you because found footage had come and gone. Like mm-hmm. There wasn't much more you could do with it, but whoever made Paranormal Activity thought outside of the box. Okay, we live in the year whatever it was. It was 2007. Okay, mid to late 2000s. We have webcams. We have phones with cameras how about that be the found footage instead of film crew going around documenting things exactly what if the camera's all around us and it kind of gives you that sense of invasion like you're you're in this normal family's house and you kind of shouldn't be it's forbidden like what happens behind closed doors since and i think that pushes found footage in a new direction is the next step for found footage in my opinion i agree wholeheartedly and i think that by making both of them or making especially the boyfriend you know well earning like he he makes a lot of money you can buy the fact that he buys like three or four high-end prosumer cameras right right and that he knows how to work with the techie yeah exactly and in a day and age where that's kind of becoming more and more of a a cheap consumer product and you're also talking about a movie that was mostly improv. Okay, this I didn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there really wasn't a script. That is good, because if you're filming people in their natural habitat, that kind of should be improv. Because mm-hmm. that way you buy it. And he, I think they said they filmed, or they auditioned like thousands of people before they found two people who really worked together well. And I think I think it really pays off. And I think that la- those last two or three minutes of paranormal activity are fucking terrifying. Yeah, I, I was shook. I like the whole time I'm watching the movie. Every time it's at night, because everything happens at night. Mostly, right. You hear the witching hour. Yeah, it's it starts small, and then everything this demon does gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until, of course, the ultimate ending. And every time something, like, it would turn to night, I was like, oh, God, what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. Every time I was expecting, like, ooh, jump scare. But yeah. they never went there. It wasn't until the very end where everything hit. And I get goosebumps thinking about it now. That was that was spooked. I'm not going to lie. I was spooked. I, And I wish more people would give it the respect it deserves. The franchise sucks ass. Yeah, it was running to the ground. Oh, yeah. Way to stretch a an idea so thin that you could see through it yeah I mean, that's a shame should have been a one-off thing like Blair Witch but the paranormal activity the original one I think is not unpopular but it's unappreciated for what it did in finding a new way to move a dead genre forward mm-hmm. I mean so much like you're talking about a genre so dead that when they did Blair Witch Book of Shadows the Ugh. sequel to the original first of all <clears throat> second of all there was no found footage it was a standard shot film which missed the point entirely right now of course I don't say, run an idea into a ground but at the same time don't bother changing it if you, it's not going to do anything right now to be fair I don't think you can ever replicate the Blair Witch Project again you're talking about a time when the internet was new. It was easy this, to kind of this whole shared content idea. Yeah, was fresh in people's mind, and you can't replicate that right now. Yeah, no, you're because you're also talking about a time where, um, maybe for a little while you can convince people, oh shit, this is real. Like they watch the movie and they're just like, holy shit. 
And yeah. I and I think paranormal activity is probably the closest we've gotten to it since then. The There's, modern day found footage. Yeah. Um I'm gonna scooch this in here real quick as just a recommendation <clears throat> for you. Do you What's have a shutter? Yeah, I have it on and off. Okay. I'll probably get it again. When you have it on, watch. Um, there's a movie. Oh, fuck it, Doug. What is it called? Let me pull up my Shutter account real quick. <laughs> Shutter. That's Strutter. I fucked that up. Lol. Come on, come on. Where you at? I'm not streaming. Who does Shutter TV? Nobody does that. My list. It's called Host. Ooh. It is is a film that was made, that was filmed um, and edited entirely while in quarantine in the UK. During this quarantine? During this quarantine. Yikes. And it really taps, too real. it taps into the fear of like being alone and isolated during these times. Right. It's 55 minutes. They spend like the first... 15 minutes 20 minutes really getting into it kind of getting you attached to these characters establishing mm. their their friendship and all that and then it just goes fucking balls to the wall for the last like 30 i can't recommend it enough i want to see it because i don't know what you could what could you do with a quarantine the cool thing is they actually uh the director so it's all filmed through zoom what um relevant and, and that's they, scary because everyone has zoom when they filmed everything, they um, he actually they did a workshop on how they can set up all these practical effects themselves, right. so oh. that they could do things, so that they could set off these effects while recording because nobody could be together. True, I'm a sucker for practical effects. <laughs> In G- and it's all small shit. It's like a book flying across them or a chair getting pulled back, but it is ingenious that he managed to write, sh- like direct shoot all remotely all this is being directed and acted mm-hmm. probably miles apart Part. insane can't recommend it enough that's awesome um since we're on the topic of this. paranormal activity and found footage what's your number two my number two is i should have made that joke earlier but <laughs> my number two is a very controversial and sensitive Ooh. topic it is I'm interested I think it was early 90s, like 91, 2, or 3. Mm-hmm. But it's Joel Schumacher's Falling Down. I'm not aware, actually. This was a movie that when it came out, it was just kind of tasteless and pointless and swept under the rug, understandably. But as we get further and further into the future, this movie foretold something that I think we can all relate to. Okay, so I just, just so the audience can understand. Right. So I just looked it up, right. and I read just the description. Holy shit. Yeah. So when it first came out, it was tasteless. People rolled their eyes at it. This is just dumb. This would never happen. But Joel Schumacher kind of foretold a problem that we're running into. He, he straight up Simpson this shit. Yeah. It's kind of, and I understand why you're saying like it's a tough, it's a tough talk. Right. It's something. It's how do I get? How do I? How do I talk about this? Um, when you think of a scary movie villain or a slasher villain, you think of some paranormal, mysterious entity um, that lurks and hides in the shadows. Right. This is your everyday guy who is 
frustrated and disenfranchised with the world. And this is a very real thing that we're seeing with the whole make America great again. People who are frustrated with change, people who are frustrated with where we're going. And, and if you look at the villain of this movie, the main character, look how generic he looks. I mean, it's Michael. Suit. It's 90s Michael Douglas. It's 90s Michael Douglas. But look at him. He's white suit, black tie, briefcase. It doesn't get any more generic. But at the same time, that's why it's scary. It's your everyday man who's frustrated with the modern world. It's it's scary in the same way I feel like Halloween is. Because yeah. you think about, like, Jason, uh, who's in most parts of the series right. a zombie. You think about Freddy Krueger, who's the dream demon. Yeah. You think about Pennywise, who is just this cosmological being. Right. And then there's Michael Myers, who's... He's wearing a boiler suit. He's got a what is a Halloween mask. And when he's lurking around during Halloween, you kind of don't bat an eye at it. And that's his that's his way of hiding. I think this does that in a scarier way. I I mean I I can see that because you're t- you know it again like it's there's no mask. No. There's no there's no hiding. It's the guy you pass on the bus. It's the guy you who's in the same store as you. He's shopping, but he is having. And if you look at him, his design is genius. It's almost that, you know, working class, bustling 50s guy who comes back to his wife and everything's just great. Like white picket fence, suburban home yeah. kind of thing. Okay. Then, then, then a very nuclear man. But what happens when you take that same guy, you disenfranchise him, you put in a lot of progressive modern ideas and he doesn't want to adapt. Mm. And his wife leaves him, and his job fires him, and all these other struggles. I don't want to say he's relatable, because he's evil. Yeah. But what if, because we all get hurt by, you know, the job economy and stuff like that. But what if you do this to a man who's evil and who is obsessed with the good old days? Mm -hmm. You get one of the most dangerous, non-supernatural people. Watch Falling Down. Um, there are, there is, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Trigger warning. Like, yeah, no, there's, don't, don't be afraid to say that. Right. Here. Like he's an interesting character study cause he's right leaning centrist. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he does, he does run into a full on like racist skinhead stereotype swastika look wearing, and even they don't get along. Um, so it's a really weird centrist character study. It, it, it's just too much to talk about right now. But right. If you want to be shook, watch this movie. And oh. no, it does not. It's easy to look at it and read about it and like, oh, does this glorify that? It, it really doesn't because he doesn't get his way in the end. But it right. it follows him and it does a character study of the destruction that someone like this can do. And it's it's not meant to glorify it or make it look cool. Right. All right. Well, as of, again, as of today, uh, it is not available on any free streaming service. No one wants to host it. It's very controversial. It is available for $2.99. I'm going to say that's a rental. 
from YouTube, Vudu, Google Play Movies and TV, Amazon Prime Video, and it looks like iTunes as well. But right. it doesn't tell me because I use an Android device. I'm going to go with my number two. Um, hard to follow that up. A very, very forward-thinking film that I had to talk about it. I And you know what, man? I appreciate that. Don't ever... And also, <laughs> any time you feel like somebody needs to be warned... Just, just red do flag, it. red flag. Because that's, I uh, recommend it, but at the same time, it might not be for everyone. Yeah, it can please, make your stomach churn. Please be aware of that. We are. This is a this is a safe space where two guys just <laughs> yeah talk their shit. And sometimes we talk about shit that's a little too real. Yeah, a little uncomfortable. Um, but we'll tell you ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do we got? Number two is Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Thank you. Oh my f- god, thank you. I feel like everybody talks about <laughs> the, ori- this movie. the original Nightmare on Elm Street right. and uh, Dream Warriors, which is number three. Uh, people talk about two for reasons. It's a really interesting f- study yeah. of themes. I really think if you watch that... Potential or not. But- yeah, watch if you watch Front Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, watch... Um, the have, an, docu- have an open mind. Yeah, and watch the docu- Watch the part of the documentary. Right. I can't remember what the documentary is called right now. Um, but there's a part on. There's something about it on part two, and they all discuss it, and it's very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about Wes Craven's new nightmare, which is when Wes Craven finally came back uh, to direct a Nightmare on Elm Street film, right? But, but on his terms, and it's meta. This, this to me is the pre-scream. Like this is where yeah, he it's kind a precursor of to scream. He gets this idea for like a horror movie that exists in a world right where horror movies do. And there's two there's two different portrayals of Freddy in this. There's the new real Freddy, fucking terrifying Freddy. Yeah, and then there's the the wacky, crazy Birch Freddy from the yeah. movies. Yeah, and, and it I love that contrast. It's it's so cool to me because. Everybody in this movie, save for Robert Englund as both as the dream demon, mm-hmm. um, which is which makes sense in a second, um, is playing a fictionalized version of themselves. Heather Langenkamp comes back to play a version of herself, where the Nightmare films took off, of course. Interesting. And um, then we find out from Wes Craven, who plays himself. As we actually go to New Line Cinema, right. to the studios, <laughs> um, and we find out that Wes has been writing the Nightmare on Elm Street films to keep the dream demon out of the real world. Right, and that this is how you breathe life into um, a very, very, very dead franchise. It's getting stale. I mean, I, okay, so how I've, can we make Freddy scary again? So I've sat through all of Nightmare all of Friday the 13th, all of Halloween. And honestly, in my opinion, I don't think there's a franchise that dipped harder in quality that fast than A Nightmare on Elm Street. It got caught up in its one note joke. At least Halloween tried to mix it up and add lore, even though it was crap lore. Yeah. At least they did something. But like with, and and they kind of did with Nightmare on Elm Street too, but like, okay, so you have the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Fantastic. Could be a great one-off film. Yeah, but of course, it looks like you can see that the studio told him, "No, we're gonna set it up for a sequel." Right, and Wes right. is like, "Fine, fuck you, whatever." <laughs> and then you have Nightmare on Elm Street two, which feels like nothing compared to the first one. It feels 
so out of left field, so right, different. Right. And then you have three where we get Heather Langenkamp back, and we really kind of start to dive into this idea that uh, that like in our dreams we can combat. Yeah, they're experimenting with that a little bit. It, he's he's a little goofier here. I mean, you know, welcome to primetime, bitch. He like, became a fan favorite, so they started to have fun with him. Yeah. He's a wisecracking smartass. And, and as you get further in, they try to tackle harder topics like Freddy's birth, who his mother is, what he went through. And I'm just – but <sighs> everything around them is just so bad. It's the, – the, the characters they introduce in each uh, – I'm sorry. Nightmare. Nightmare film. <laughs> What movie we're talking about? It happens that it really do be like that. <laughs> but um, after after three, four, five, whatever, um, it's like every time they introduce this new set of colorful characters, I started to roll my eyes because I'm like, oh, they're just gonna die. Don't don't try to don't try to charm me with yeah. these characters. Cause they're just more bodies. That's what. That's why. Like I think Halloween, like from one to two, works well, and right, Halloween, right. um, H two O. As garbage as its age now, he tried worked well because right. it had Jamie Lee Curtis, and that's why I think 2018 works so Busta well. Busta Rhymes, that's uh, Resurrection. <laughs> okay, that movie's fucking dog shit. Put in the trash. Oh my god, and then burn that garbage can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I feel like, as much as people are like, oh well, I'm I'm not expecting my slasher movies to have a good story, but that makes horror so much more effective. That's why. Right, right. If you, when you talk about like Nightmare on Elm Street one, it worked so well because it had a small cast of characters, and every time a character died, you're like, oh shit. Sure, maybe you didn't care about them a ton, but when you start with, you know, just like four people or five people, right, and then all of a sudden they keep getting knocked out one by one, you're like, shit. Eventually, like, like we're what are they, what are they gonna do? They're running yeah. out of time. Whereas, like with slashers, like Nightmare, uh, not Nightmare on Street, uh, like Friday the Thirteenth, you have this big group of people, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, you're gonna die, you're gonna die, you're gonna die. It's it's easy to predict. Yeah, in the first few frames of the movie, and then you have something like New Nightmare that comes along, and it's just like, all right, Wes Craven comes in and says, I don't know what the fuck you did to my boy, but. He's back. And they have this redesigned Freddy who is absolutely mortified. I love this new design. This is the scariest Freddy's been since the original film. And I think it's better than the remake Freddy. Oh, yeah. By design. By design, yeah. Um, I. The movie itself is up in the air. That's that's one that hurts me. Because eh. I, I think the remake is not good. Um. But I also think that Jackie Earl Haley got dealt a shit hand. Poor guy. He's a talented young man. He's very... I, he's so good as Freddy. <laughs> he was good. Like, I really liked him. But just everything around that movie was ass. Right. Somebody brought up the idea of Kevin Bacon as Freddy. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. Kevin Bacon was in the first... Uh, Friday, Friday the 13th. 13th. Yep, sure was. He got, he got Savinied. I think that what... I'm using that from now on. <laughs> Get Savinied. I think. Get Rob Bottoned. Was, you don't want to be Rob Bottoned. Was, was Footloose before or after that? That's a good question. Because that's like. Footloose. Mm-hmm. Kick off your loose suede shoes. 
Let's see. Okay, 84. Okay, so, wow. So, I mean, yeah. No, it was a little bit after. Okay, okay. Boy, talk about a jump. Yeah. Um, But I think New Nightmare is instrumental in the creation of Scream. And I feel like... It's instrumental for the slasher genre. I agree. Because you're talking about a genre that at this point is dead. Like, there's... Yeah. One note. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. People are gonna hate me for this. I fucking hate Chucky. <laughs> I do not like Chucky. I don't think any of those movies. Like I love. Um, is, that, uh, is that Joe Dante? No, that's Don Mancini. Don Mancini. Okay, I don't. Joe Dante. He did Little Soldiers and Gremlins and The Howling. The original that's Howling. Right. Okay, a fucking great movie on its own as well. Hmm. Um, but I. I I, they did well in theaters, I'm pretty sure. Right. Like, I just, I don't like Chucky. <laughs> and the 90s really didn't produce a lot of good stuff. I, I rank Chucky a little lower on the, the iconic slashers. Yeah. But, um. And, um, so when you've got something like night, like New Nightmare, and then you've got, where you can very obviously see the basis for right, Scream. Right, it, it, You can't help but think, why don't more people talk about this? Because you don't often do the meta thing in horror. Yeah, and it kind of set the foundation for that meta subgenre that that Scream flourished on. Right. Even though Scream, it launched it. Yeah. And and I think when people think about that, they're like, "Oh, you mean like the original Scream?" Excuse me. Let's go back a little bit further, mm-hmm. and let's give New Nightmare the respect it's deserved. Thank you. Go with your number two. My number two is. Oh wait, number th- three. Three. Yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't numbers. Um, Brazil. The country? You'd think. It's, <laughs> it's a movie literally called Brazil. And, oh, God. Um, it goes, uh, so I'm Googling these if I don't know them, and it goes Brazilian. <laughs> Wax. No. no. Search Brazil. Yeah, the movie. Look who it was directed by. Come on. Yeah, Derry Get Gilliam. the fuck out. It is... The most classy, imaginative, but also wacky British-humored movie by Terry Gilliam I've ever seen. So we could, so just to kind of give an idea, like of what type of film it is. Right. According to Wikipedia, it says Brazil is a 1985 black comedy satirical dystopian science fiction film and if that doesn't pique your interest i don't know what will that's a fucking mouthful man and it it has scary futuristic almost orwellian nightmare concept but it somehow manages to make you kind of laugh and that's because it's directed by terry gilliam and that's and that's an accomplishment honestly yeah and it's showing kind of where we're going it's like it shows how te- good technology is getting, but also how pointless some of this shit is. Like, you think yeah. we have flying cars, but now we got stuff that just does dumb shit. And all the tech in this movie is dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of that wacky, dry, Terry Gilliam humor. That Monty Python humor. Yeah, and it carries that in... Probably Terry is one of one of his darker films. But you'll laugh, you'll cringe, you'll shudder, and it's beautiful watch brazil it's on criterion okay do they have a streaming service i wish they need it 
Oh, so you it think would... it's one of the Criterion Collection films? Yes, yes. Okay. Criterion okay. as a streaming service would be expensive. Oh my god, yeah. If there are Blu-rays or anything to go by. Jesus. So, um, I forgot the last one, so real quick. Um, for New Nightmare, it is not available on any streaming service, it looks like. It looks like uh, you can rent it from YouTube, Google Play Movies, Amazon Prime, and Vudu. Okay. And well, su- Support your local video shop and maybe buy it there. Yeah, do that too. And for Brazil... Same thing. It is not available on any streaming service. It did get a limited DVD release, but um, the, believe it or not, the most common way to find it is on Criterion. Yes, they do restore it and add a ton of bonus features, but if you don't know, Criterion is a little expensive. <laughs> so they have, did they do a DVD or Blu-ray release? They did a DVD and Blu-ray. Okay. Criterion. So there you go. If you want to own a physical copy. It's a beautiful case. Extra bonus features. It's, it's beautiful. Um, if you want to maybe give it a shot before you buy it. A little or cheap rental. Yeah, looks like you can rent it for three ninety nine from YouTube, Google Play Movies and TV, Vudu, Amazon Prime Video, and iTunes. Perfect. Check uh, it out. I mean, it's sitting at ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm telling you right now, I buy into everything my buddy Mike is saying here. Woo! I, We're both getting recommendations. Look at us. I'm gonna go away from the highly rated movies real quick. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. My number four movie is a movie that has a very special place in my heart. I absolutely adore it. I saw it four times in the theaters. Is this Giver? I swear nope. to God. It's the 2017 Power Rangers. <laughs> okay. Hey, sell, uh, sell me on it. First of all, it's Power Rangers. I know. Enough. But enough said. Here's the thing, right? It's a great coming-of-age movie. Right. You don't get the Power Rangers armor itself until the third act. So that's kind of a hard sell for, like, kids, right? Understandable. There's some great action scenes in it, but it's the main characters that sell this movie for me. First of all, Elizabeth Banks is Rita Repulsa. Fuck yes. That sounds cool. Brian Cranston is Zordon. Yes. Wait a minute. Yes, sir. Brian Cranston, dude, the enemy, Zordon's voice. In the new movie. And, and the facial capture. And he also did enemies in the original show so he's kind of like spiritually back i'm gonna fill you in on a fun little secret not secret fun little tidbit of information so the blue ranger's name is billy cranston are you kidding me as a thank you to brian cranston for the work he did are you kidding me? i love that and that's that goes for the original show as well i'm a brian fanboy and he does not only does he do the voice of zordon in this he does the facial capture as well Ooh. And in the opening sequence, when we see like the Mesozoic Rangers, as they're referred to, yeah, which is like millions of years ago, we see him in this full kind of look. That's cool. And Bill Hader is uh, Alpha 5. Hmm. It's very good casting. Now, what really sells the movie is the main five. It is the Rangers themselves. Gotcha. The chemistry they have is insane. <laughs> Is it believable, like, these are actually different, what is it, teens? Yeah. So, literally, it's Breakfast Club as Power Rangers. Because it's hard to convey convincing teens, because teens have a very specific way of acting. Yeah. There's the generic, ah, I'm angry teen. How do you do, hello, fellow teenagers? I'm counterculture and stuff, but, like, if you can sell me on teens, realistically, it... That's just good acting. That's peak acting. Okay, so the Red Ranger, 
It's played by Dacre Montgomery. It's a, a newer kind of name on there. He's okay. from he's in Stranger Things as well. I believe he pops up in season two. Um, is he the boyfriend? No, he is. Did you is he watch the bad guy? Did you watch season two? Of yeah. Stranger Things. He's the um, you know the new girl, the redhead girl that showed up. That's her the, brother, the older brother. Oh, yeah. I like him. He's he cool. um he plays the Red Ranger. Gotcha. And he is. He's the jock of the group. I figured. I but, figured they'd cast him like that. So he, um, in the first scene we see him in, he's stealing, or he's trying to let loose the opposing school's mascot, because he's the football star, and through all that, gets in a car wreck, breaks his arm. Right, right. You find out that his dad is pretty verbally abusive towards Ooh. him. And so he's stuck in detention. His dad kind of was in the movie, too. Yeah. Uh, or in uh, Stranger Things. Yeah. Not that abusive, right? Because it's it's still a, a PG thirteen film. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, and his dad's like, you know, you f- you threw everything away. You had a chance. Like scouts were going to be in the next game. Blah blah blah. That kind of thing. And he's just verbally abusive towards him. So then, suck my left nut, dad. He's in detention, stuck with, of course, a couple of the other Rangers. Right, right. Including the best one, R.J. Kyler as Billy. So first of all, we have. A non-white <clears throat> uh, Blue Ranger. Okay. Cool. Um, the thing is that Billy's on the spectrum. Really? He is autistic. And mm. they handle it in a beautiful way. It is... So That's hard to do. He is the heart and soul of this film. And there's a moment in this film that makes me cry every time. That's awesome. They, You know, when people portray autism or... Asperger's in film it's very surface level what we a quick wikipedia or yeah what we what we perceive as and they did such a good job with it right here. he's such a compelling character the rest of the cast is fantastic <clears throat> too naomi scott uh and the in the rest of them and i say the rest of them because i can't remember their names off the top of my head i'm <laughs> such an asshole i'm sorry um that's what imdb is for we can't remember everything jesus christ right naomi scott you might recognize she was um <clears throat> The Princess Jasmine in the Aladdin movie, the live action one that came out recently. Gotcha. See it, but okay. Yeah, no, I, I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> um, like if 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 I just want to watch a shot for shot remake, I'm just gonna watch the movie, like I the original. Don't movie. know what the point of these are. It feels what so weird. What if this cartoon was real? Whoa, 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 whoa. That'll be a, uh, a movie ticket plus tax, please. Yeah, I'm that'll good. be that'll be fucking thirty dollars for two of you to see it. Um. We but, botched the songs. Come see it. Anyway, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I I can't say enough how much I adore this film. It came out of nowhere. And it's Remember not that old getting a Sentai series. Here's a film about it. High budget, and it's amazing. And it's okay. Not gonna. Thanks. It's not gonna get a sequel. They're rebooting again. So I'm stuck forever without any more of this heartwarming heartbreaking right powerful cast that sold me that reignited that love for power rangers i had well good for it for being so good that it's just self-contained in its goodness yeah and i and i'm am i sad that i'll never get more of it yes but am i happy that i got what i did absolutely it happened i <laughs> i can't believe that i so the i bought tickets sorry my ass is going numb. no you're good <laughs> and it was i 
I walked out of that film just being right. like, oh my God. I just watched. I loved it. And it was during a time where we we're getting kaijus are back. Now Sentai is back? Hold on. Mm. Best timeline. Yes. What's your uh, what's your number four? My number four. Because we're hitting the two and a half hour mark. Good God. <laughs> um, I'm going to keep this quick. What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, Taika um, Waititi, baby. Yeah, so a lot of people are probably going to think, but Mike, that that's that's a series. No, it started off as a film. Mm-hmm. Wrong. A few years back, and it is so good. And it's it kind of appeals to, you know, horror nerds who, you know, have read Dracula and have know about Twilight because it shows it's a bunch of <laughs> it's a Big Brother style reality type movie documentary if you will about vampires and that sounds dumb and like it almost sounds like a family guy joke remember the time i was on a reality show of vampires but no it's a lot smarter than that because each vampire represents a different era of vampire and it shows how you how they compare and contrast and it's really something for the horror nerds i'll say it's directed and written by both taika waititi and jermaine clement yep so like that's just a fucking that's a match made in heaven yep that's without a doubt. I mean, come on. It's only an hour and a half. If you're keen on your Bela Lugosi and uh, Christopher Lee and the Nosferatu, and you you want to see something that almost panders to the fact that you know about all these vampires, watch this. It's hilarious. All right. So once again, because I fucked up, uh, Power Rangers can't stream it on any free service. Good God. But actually, no. It's on Hulu. Okay. So it's on Hulu. So watch it on Hulu if you if you have that. Or you can rent it from the usual suspects. That's YouTube, Google Play, Vudu, Amazon Prime, and uh, iTunes. Perfect. What, what we do in the shadows, I believe the show is on Hulu because it's on FX. I think so. Uh, but if you want to uh, stream, if you want to rent it and not buy it, first of all, you can't see the face I'm making, but it's basically saying buy the fucking movie. <laughs> it's amazing. Just own it. I think that's I think that is a great choice. Thank you. Um, but if you want to rent it because you're a fucking nerd or whatever, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you want things digitally and temporary, Luther. <laughs> you can rent it from YouTube, Google Play, Vudu, Amazon Prime, iTunes. It looks like all of them are two ninety nine for the usual probably twenty four forty eight yeah. hours. Not bad. All right. Give it a shot. My number four is another John Carpenter film, but one that people don't talk about enough. It is They Live. Oh. And in a very topical film as well. Okay. I you, think you know, I've never seen They Live. Really? As much of a John Carpenter fan as I am. I, I, I missed out. I think right now would actually be the best time. So They Live is kind of John Carpenter's attempt at attacking capitalism and subtextual messaging and things like that. Is this the film where he gets glasses and he can see mm-hmm. the aliens? Okay. It's got Rowdy Rowdy Piper and Keith David in it. I lied. I do know a little bit about this. I still haven't seen it all the way through, though. I would, I'm would. i not going to talk too much about it because, again, we're, we've been here a while. About movies. And, um, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. Yes, I know the movie's 32 years old. But um, it is a fantastic watch. It's very topical. I think if you watch it now... Uh, considering the, the the ramifications of the last four years we've right. had, uh, I think you'll find a movie that is scarily accurate. It's one of those, much like Falling Down, um, is a very forward-thinking movie and kind of foretells a threat that just gets more and more 
tangible. Right. Um, I love these timeless movies and these timeless subject matters. Yeah, agreed. Because, I mean, this... Like the, the the topic of capitalism and and the sub subtextual messaging that these magazines and this visual media can, right. can put in you um is even more prominent today. Uh good news you can watch it completely on Hulu. Perfect. Or Stars. Ooh, I see a lot of services on there. So if you have a premium subscription to Hulu Stars, YouTube TV, Sling TV, or Amazon Prime Video, you can stream it without paying for it. Perfect. Or if you want to rent it because you're a loser, it's the usual suspects. <laughs> Did digitally <clears throat> renting is the goofiest shit to me. I know. I say that as I rented something recently. Digital and temporary. I just I can't. There was a movie that was supposed to come out in like April. It's called The Way Back. Yeah. With Ben Affleck, and they're like, you can rent it for like, I think it was like fourteen ninety nine, or you can buy it for twenty five dollars. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know if this movie's going to be that great, but I'd rather pay the fucking $25 and just own it. <laughs> if you if you find it risky, I guess renting looks appealing. Right. <clears throat> um, but that's my number four is John cool. Carpenter's They Live. You can watch it on any number of services. I cannot recommend it enough, especially right now. Good stuff. Yes. Those are both our woke and accurate movies. <laughs> right? I, I th- And I realize, like, I think the funny thing is, our intention isn't to be like, get woke, but it's like, you can see how even 25, 30, 35 yeah. years ago, people were starting to pick up on these on these things. And yeah. like I said, they're forward thinking and it's 20, almost 30 years later. We're, yeah, we're going on 30 years with falling down and it couldn't be more real. Yeah, exactly. And um, we're here to tell you that on this podcast. And they're also just great movies. Yeah. Maybe a little confusing at the time, but. It just gets better with time. Agreed. Age is like fine wine. All right. What's your number five? My number five is Buffalo 66. <laughs> I have literally known like... It is... One or, like one of your movies <laughs> today. I I, I'm really trying not to be a hipster douchebag, but like these movies need to be watched. It is... A very artsy film that's also a character study. It follows one. There's a lot of different people who come and go in this movie, but it uh-huh. it hones in and almost gets tunnel vision on this one dude, and how with with a character study movie like this, you can really see their inner workings, and I find that very interesting. It's also almost kind of a vanity project because the main character. Wrote, directed, casted, did everything. Yeah, I'm seeing it. So it's a gentleman named Vincent Gallo who, yeah, directed, wrote, stars in it, did the music for it. Yeah. God dang. So it's very much a it's, – it's, it's from the heart. It's almost a bit of – almost a little bit of a vanity project. But it's so interesting in how it visually interprets little moments. Like there's a part where the girls – Sorry if y'all can hear that, by the way. Oh, he's just running water. <laughs> we live in a house with pipes. What's that? Technology. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it it has moments where it visually conveys something in the weirdest ways. Like he takes this woman to meet his parents, and the dad thinks she's kind of cute. So instead of like saying that. Or just having a one-off line, it goes on a full, like five-minute tangent where this, 
where every everything but this dude goes dark and it shines a spotlight on the dad and he picks up a mic and he starts singing to this girl and it's like what am i watching what the fuck it's like if i just stopped and started singing about how i love doing podcasts that'd be weird a little bit yet it really drives home what what i love about doing podcasts. it's really weird kind of artsy weird character study and definitely a vanity project watch this movie it's art i mean okay so i look at at wikipedia for it uh described buffalo 66 as a 1998 american crime comedy drama yes film written and directed by vincent gallo and yes it does have the trappings of crime going on but it's the way it's told that's very artsy <laughs> i mean the first sentence is the film was generally well, generally well received. Empire listed it as the 36th greatest independent film ever made. That's impressive. Because I'm assuming that's probably either out of 50 or 100. It's f- yeah. 50, yeah. I mean, still. It's phenomenal. Watch Buffalo 66. So It is slept on um, If you So you can watch it on Tubi or Good. Pluto TV. Or if you have a subscription, you can watch it on Amazon Prime Video. Everything else, uh, you can rent it from the usual suspects. That's YouTube, Google Play TV, and Vudu. I'm afraid nothing was going to come up for streaming services for this movie. I'm kind of shocked, like <laughs> Amazon Prime, yeah. you know? Because you hear of like, indep- like art house films, independent films, and you think immediately, like, oh, great, well, I'm going to have to fucking... Hunt it down on VHS or some weird format. I'm going to have to find it on fucking Laserdisc. Laserdisc. Um, and my number five is a film that you put me onto. Oh, yeah, you've been teasing this. I'm honestly clueless. So here's the thing. There's a man in the world of horror named Jeffrey Coombs. Oh! One of the most underappreciated horror actors. Oh, that one. Ooh, okay, let's go. And there's a gentleman named Stuart Gordon who directed a film with Jeffrey Coombs entitled The Reanimator. It is a fantastic flick, but one that is very often talked about as a great yeah. B-grade horror comedy. It's horror no longer, dark comedy. It's no, it's no longer a hidden gem. It's actually kind of emerged into popular horror culture exactly well i was watching the documentary called in search of darkness which if you have shutter you should absolutely watch it's four and a half hours detailing the 80s in horror i think james rolf is in that he is <laughs> it is a fantastic documentary um a little light when it comes to talking about certain big events that i think should have been discussed more but that's neither here nor Fair there enough. Uh, it's on shutter it's totally free so it's worth watching um but we're going to talk about the second film that they worked together on. And a lot of people don't realize, wait, they did another movie with Coombs? And- they sure as shit did. What is it? And I'm going to argue here, I'm probably going to piss some people off, that it's the better of the two films. Ooh. We're going to talk a little bit about From Beyond. Let's go. So The Reanimator and From Beyond are both very Lovecraftian films. Yeah. Obviously, The Reanimator is based on H.P. Lovecraft's Herbert West, The Reanimator. And I, dare I say that Jeffrey Coombs... In Lovecraftian stories are bread and butter. Just, <laughs> just work together. And they use they use the same ingredients here as they did with Reanimator. So it's kind of confusing why no one talks about this. Right. Uh, and I think the interesting thing about it too is look at the colors. So here's something we don't talk about often outside of like film composition classes, right? Yeah. Or unless you're really digging deep into like creating your own films, or you're just really interested in it. Yeah. So Reanimator is very green. Obviously, the the slime itself. Yeah, like the, it's that ooze mystery of the ooze slime green. Yeah, kind of Nasty. almost almost the blob like. Right, right. Um, which I found out was apparently just like glow sticks dumped into. Right, which, which keep, 
very cool. That is kind of cool. And it gives you the sense of decay and rotten bodies and stuff. And it it really feels like this... Grody. Yeah, it's a very grimy kind of film. And it's so it's very green. It's interesting to me how they contrast, like, the sterile... Like hospital that yeah, gets clean worse and white, but then he, it, it emphasizes the blood spatters. So much and then more. you have the house, which is very dark and dank and decayed. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, just this almost angelic looking. Yeah. You know, it's very bright, very, very in your face. When he brings out the serum, you immediately, your eyes are drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And it what does it do? Your attention. It brings life. Right. So then we talk about from beyond and you look at just this neon pink and purple, very it is drenched in bright, saturated. Yeah. yeah, Just color. Just this. It it, it does such a good job at conveying the entire like experience, everything as otherworldly. Right. As you see everything just descend. Yeah. Into chaos. It's very much a cyber nightmare. Yes. I I will very much agree to that. So it is more body horror as well. Um and it's much nastier, I think. Yeah, it's it's all, it's kind of on the thing levels of and it's very <laughs> wet. Yeah. You and, know? And that was a thing the 80s loved to do. They loved to make their practical effects just glisten and It's not quite as bad as like society. No, no, no. If you no, know no. what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. No, I'm sorry if you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Um, but, like, you know the part where Jeffrey Coombs kind of reaches out, like, gets, like, pulls himself out of the... Yeah. And I really like the the switch as well from... Um, oh, what's her name? I feel terrible about this. Barbara Crampton. You know, she was the, the damsel in distress mm-hmm. a lot in in um, the reanimator. You know, the classic head gives head scene. <laughs> uh, <laughs> classic. That's what Stuart Gordon actually called it. I... It's a fucking awful scene. I love it. Uh, <laughs> but she's kind of like she's she's the leader. She's the right, one in charge. Right. And Jeffrey Coombs is kind of the definitely uh, a different Coombs, Coombs than you're he, used to. He's not like the narcissistic asshole he was, which as, won my heart. And oh yeah, as as Herbert West, y'all can hear my dog. I'm sure. Here's him uh, not being typecasted. No, here's him having a chance to really play a different character. Mm-hmm. And I cannot stress enough how brilliantly this film is told visually. People always, like when they think of Stuart Gordon and Jeffrey Coombs, and probably even Barbara Crampton, they think of the reanimator. Why are we not talking about From Beyond more? It's kind of the sister movie. If you enjoyed reanimator, you, I can't recommend this enough. Whoops. Ooh, you beeping. What? <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Um, Random call from a friend during a podcast. So How rude. <laughs> you know, there's this dumb trend on TikTok going around called, I never seen two pretty best friends. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, I found both of them. Boom. It's From Beyond and Reanimator. But From Beyond is just prettier, I think. I, th- I think From Beyond is just a better film. It leaves such an impression visually. And it almost... Like when when a movie when a modern day movie tries to do that, um, generic neon aesthetic, um, if you want to see the authentic version of that bright yeah. neon aesthetic from the eighties, watch From Beyond. 
if you want to see how it's done. Because it reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen it yet, Color Out of Space, I believe is what it's called, on Shudder. Yeah, I saw the thumbnail for it. Yeah, it's the one with... Um, you can tell yeah, it's, Nick it's Cage. trying to do that. This is... Whereas, like, From Beyond is Lovecraftian in lots of elements, Color Out of Space is a very Lovecraftian film through and through. Right. It's that descent into madness. Mm. It's these characters who maybe you care about, but it doesn't matter because... <laughs> they're just meant it's like ito junji stories yeah where, who's also very lovecraftian style yeah, these awful events exactly they're not it's just it's depression <laughs> that's really what it boils down to enough said they're very very sad sad stories um but from beyond is fucking excellent go watch it please let me see you know what's what? weird I usually recommend the highest quality format, but this movie would look cool on VHS. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. I think having, yeah, having that, um, God knows VHS is like two bucks on eBay. Oh God. Right. So from beyond, Oh wow. Um, that's a small list. Yeah. So you, if you have a premium subscription, you can watch it on YouTube TV and Amazon prime video. Otherwise you're renting it from voodoo or they also offer you the ability to buy them as well. Cool. Rent it for $4. Probably buy it for 15. Coombs will win your heart. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that man. Uh, bonus film that I don't think is really underappreciated so much as it's just kind of Netflix schlock so nobody really cares about it uh, Would You Rather stars Jeffrey Coombs it also has Old Boy from Trailer That's Park Boys right. in it that is a fucking awesome movie uh, if you like the best kind of schlock yeah, exactly it's not super gory like right, right. Saw like but it noxiously exploit, exploitative if, it's pretty brutal it's it's violent <laughs> in ways that aren't overly bloody or gory right it's violent in ways that are visceral Ooh. it's really good it's like an hour and 20 minutes it's got some familiar faces and if you thought jeffrey coombs was an asshole as herbert west he brings it oh back. he's a he's a monster in so this if movie if you fell in love with from beyond or not from beyond uh the reanimator for coombs Great portrayal of an asshole. He's back out of here. Oh, yeah. I cannot recommend it. <laughs> and it's free on Netflix. So if you have yeah. it, go watch it. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, I know it's been a long ride, but here we are at the end ten of the... in movies. Ten games. It's the end of the first episode. The first ever only episode. The fir- only first episode ever. <laughs> you I only swear. Do first once. I'll get there. Exactly. But um, yeah, uh, hopefully you come away from this with some recommendations, whether you're a gamer, you love movies, you're a horror hound. Or, um, you're, or you're looking for something that maybe feels tonally appropriate or right. politic, maybe even like politically yeah, appropriate just an interesting, in Something that's just aged and has gotten better. Maybe you can take that from this. We kind of live in a day and age where I feel like I've seen everything. Yeah. I then like- I watch a, a show that recommends some new stuff and I get excited. And I think um, it's not to sound like, oh, well, back in our day, movies were better. But I feel like there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I think you're exactly right, has just gotten better with time because it just, right. it feels like it fits better. Mm-hmm. It's so forward thinking that it feels like it fits better right. now. And that's not knocking new movies. No, not at all. Because we haven't found out whether or not new movies have aged well or not. And we'll talk about the movies of today later. Yeah, absolutely. To see how they've aged. We'll talk about the same thing. But for now, thank you very much for joining me on the inaugural episode. This has been an absolute blast. A lot of fun. I'm glad we're podcasting again. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we'll get the next one. We'll put this one up. We'll get the next one recorded. 
It might be over Discord. It might be in person again. We don't know. But anyway, we'll make it happen. Absolutely. Uh, from one member of the Infinicast to another, thank you very much for being here. Thanks for stopping by. And we'll see you guys again on the next episode of the Infinicast. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>